I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, shit. Oh. Welcome to episode 9 of the Film 89 podcast. My name is Sky and I'm the editor of Film89.co.uk and with me today is... Hey podcast, Neil Gaskin, back again at Three King Studios, good to be back. And joining us again is someone who's kind of become a bit of a bit of a Film 89 mascot, so to speak. The listeners love him. It's Mr. Jim Cottle. Evening everyone, uh, I've been massively on it, watching the Royal Wedding, I've been drinking champagne since breakfast. I've ignored the Royal Wedding in favour of Monster Jam, the big Monster Trucks mashup in uh, the Principality Stadium. I've been to the cinema to watch a film that we're going to talk about shortly. <laughs> okay, so gentlemen, uh, what, have you, what have you been up to of late with regards to uh, your viewing choices? Anything you'd like to talk about? Film, TV, whatever. Whatever floats your boat. Oh, that's very kind of you. I've, um, I've been watching Happy. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Did the full season in about ooh, three days. Is that Jim, the uh, new Netflix uh, series, Happy? Yes, very, very good. Very good. About, about a hitman. Oh. We like that. Right up my street. Yeah, he's he's drunk, he's hallucinating, he's uh, seeing a friendly unicorn. Wow. Very, uh, yeah. Who's in, who's in it? Uh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> no one massively famous. You know all of them. You know all of them. They're all, you know. Sort of like, like a B.O.C.-less character. Yeah, yeah. Something. Christian Maloney's uh, starring. Richard Costa's in it. Who, when he comes on screen, you go, oh, yeah, it's him from that. But yeah, no, really enjoyed it. It shared a lot. It was like watching an American version of The League of Gentlemen. It oh, got into yeah. that sort of bizarre territory. Um, but yeah, definitely, uh, definitely worth picking up if you can find it. Neil? Uh, I'm on my continuing quest to uh, redo Game of Thrones. Uh, now my son's reached a certain age, he's uh, decided he needs to watch You're Game not. of Thrones. Yeah, wow. we're on uh, season four, episode six at the moment. And what I can say is, for years we've had this conversation about watching it again. It truly is better second time round. Um, other than that, I've uh, just started on Evil Genius, premiered on Netflix about two three days ago. Saw it on Facebook last night, advertised on my Facebook page, and they said this is the next making of a murderer. It's only four episodes. I think it's uh, 45 minutes to an hour each episode. I've watched the first two episodes. Thoroughly engrossed. Is it documentary or dramatisation of real events? No, it's documentary. Um, much in the same style as making of a murderer. I don't want to give too much away because I say it's fairly new, so a lot of people are going to watch it, obviously. It's based on quite a famous case. The American listeners might be uh, more familiar with it than we are. But uh, let's just say it starts off with a man walking into a bank with a large handcuff wrapped around his neck, which is wired to a bomb. And he claims that he's been taken hostage and must rob the bank. And it's the aftermath of what goes on from that. Right. Some quite graphic uh, news real footage as well. I've all warned people it's not for the squeamish. Mm. But if you like making a murderer, I don't know if it's up to the same standard yet. Somebody watched the first two episodes last night, but 
thoroughly recommended so far. Mm. Going back to what you were saying about Game of Thrones, this will address a lot of the listener questions that I sort of have had to brush to the wayside. We've been getting a lot of questions about, are you guys going to cover Game of Thrones? Now, the plan is, I think what we discussed was, once Game of Thrones has run its, its conclusion, and the final season, or the final episode of the final season is aired, I think what we're going to do is, we'll have a debrief episode. Yeah, I think that's we're, the best yeah, way. We're going to have an episode where we just go from the very start, through all uh, eight seasons of Game of Thrones, and just sort of give our thoughts on it, after you know we've seen where it's going. Because I think if we if we if we were to do that after the end of season seven, then we it's going to be pretty much incomplete. And you know I think if we do one cover all big epic Game of Thrones episode, once we've seen it all and we've seen the clear picture, I, I think that's going to be I think the best way to go with it. Yeah, it did. It did actually occur to me. I say last week when I, we got to the third season, I thought, oh, perhaps we should be doing this season by season. But obviously, I understand you'd have to watch it a second time at least. It's a lot for you guys to say. Can I just take 10 hours of your week away? That's no hardship. I've watched it twice already. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I think I think Sky's idea is probably the best there. We should just recap. Or maybe do a brief recap before the next, before the final season, and then we'll do a review of the final season afterwards. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, either way, guys, we will be covering uh, Game of Thrones. We're all massive fans of it. I did start uh, re-watching it a couple of years back, got as far as uh, towards, I think, the end of season three. And then I think I started watching something else. Um, I, I think I... Um, I think I started watching Breaking Bad because I was late to the to the game on that one. Yeah. And then I sort of put my rewatch of Game of Thrones to the side. But I completely agree with you, Neil. Game of Thrones second time round is even better than the first. Yeah. You just you, you pick out little things that you missed. Definitely. I so we we've been doing it um, sort of a night or two a week for the last month or so. It's bizarre because obviously he's seen it for the first time. Yeah. Obviously, you have to cover his eyes at certain points, but uh, <laughs> weird, isn't it? You know, I'd be a child seeing someone get their head lobbed off, but if it's boobies, Boobs. it yeah. might be wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we, you know, it, it's strange now because I actually find myself looking forward to watching the next episode, even though I know what's happened. So I think that's a mark of the quality of the writing there. Isn't yeah. It? The main thing I've been watching recently is Cobra Kai, the oh. the, U, the YouTube Red series. I'm going to be careful here because how much have you guys seen of it? I, I, I've I, watched it all. I haven't seen any of it. I'm on episode seven. I've got episode seven to start next time. I'm, I, I've got some free viewing time. Okay, well, I'm not going to give, obviously, any spoilers away. How are you finding it so far? Because I'm absolutely blown away by how good this is. Episodes one and two, I thought this is far better than this guy need right to be. Episodes three and four did take a bit of a dip. Yeah. Focus more on the sort of high school thing with the kids. I didn't think that the acting was very good from the kids. But then episodes five and six... They really pick back up. When that show is focusing on Johnny Lawrence, uh, William Zabka's character, and Daniel La- LaRusso, then it is just firing on all cylinders, and I'm I'm really enjoying it. It's it's, it's one of those uh, things we well obviously we did a joke review when we were both saying like about it's one of those films that's almost ingrained in your psyche. I really want to watch it again now. I think it's probably been four or five years since I've seen Karate Kid properly and sat down and watched it. It might have been yeah. on TV or something yeah. at a Christmas time or something, but after. Watching that now, I want to go back and see it again because it's just totally changed the way you look at Karate yeah. Kids. Yeah, I've got to say, giving another shout out to um, other podcasts. If you listen to the Feeling Film episode recently with one of their guests was Adam Rakoff, who's a big friend of, uh, of Film 89. He was on talking about the original Karate Kid and Cobra Kai. And then if you listen to the Cinephiles, which is a podcast I, that we yeah. all do really think uh, very highly of, they did a fantastic episode on the original Karate Kid that is well worth a listen. If you, if you look on film89.co.uk, myself and Neil did a joint article where we gave our thoughts on the first two episodes. Uh, we didn't give it a rating because obviously it, 
from that point you're seeing complete the rest of the series could have been a load of garbage but I think you'll get an idea from that article if the certainly if the first film is something you feel you know very fondly of then I think you're really going to love this show question is it adult Yes, it is. Oh, that's brilliant. It, 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 is. it, it is. It is and it isn't. It, it, it's sort of, it, way of answering that. I'd say it's it's PG-13 right. sort of mentality. There are a few F-bombs. Yeah. You know, the fighting is pretty much like in the first one. It's nothing over-the-top violent. But there's a sort of... Subtext. There's it. a subtext to it. The, the, the character of Johnny, he is a bit of a dinosaur, still locked in the 80s. And he is sort of looking at this modern world, the world of social media, the world of social justice warriors and he is spouting forth his opinion on the fact that he thinks these kids should just toughen up and deal with things the way he dealt with them it's strange in a way because at one point they mentioned cyberbullying now i'm not going to make like the cyberbullying i'm not saying i agree with the comment that's made because there have been tragic events linked to cyberbullying so i'm not trying to make like that please don't take it that way but it's like literally someone mentions that they're being stalked on facebook or and he's like literally like back in my day bullies just come up and punch you in the face yeah, you know, grow, yeah. a, grow a set, get on with it, you know. Yeah, and there's a certain element to it like that. I know it's not always as simple as that. I know it can get a lot more, you know, deep and a lot more tragic than that. But there's certain elements to it where he just mentions this sort of pushy, pussy generation, and you kind of almost feel not agreeing with him, but you can kind of see an element of right in what he's I think, saying. I think the line was Neil. I'm going to teach you the style of karate I was taught, the type of fighting that your pussy ass generation needs. Now. The, the way Johnny behaves and some of his attitude towards certain things, it, it's almost as if the, the showrunners are making fun of old-fashioned attitude. Like when he says to, you know, he say, he says to the, the young lad that he's training about, oh, you, you kids with your nut allergies and, and this, that, and whatever. And he said, well, no, nut allergies are real. He's like, no, no. no. And ADHD. Yeah, ADHD, what's that? ADHD, what's that? So it, clearly, he is living in the past. He does need to sort of bring himself up to date. And the, the bit where there's one amazing, oh, it's such a good scene where he's, he goes to the local high school. He's printed out uh, these leaflets for the Cobra Kai dojo that he started. <laughs> and he hands them to a young lad in the school. And he says, uh, yeah, look, this is the, the new Cobra Kai dojo. And if you, if you, you can even see it on the uh, internet. And if you go on Cobra Kai period com period whatever, as opposed to, you know, Cobra <laughs> Kai dot com. com. You know, he can't even read out a web address. He, he's... He's a dinosaur, a dinosaur from the past, and it does sort of poke fun of him in it that is. way. But a lot of the stuff he says is on the nose and does give you sort of food for thought. And I was going to say that because that was the thing with um, there's sort of the first episode where he actually does a bit of karate, and the guy says, "What well, was that MMA? No, proper old school karate." And you don't see that anymore. When he does, it is proper old school. Like, yeah. so it's very wooden the way he does it. But it is like literally every 1980s film karate fight you saw is is shown in that. Yeah, yeah. Kicking with that is Leonardo Machito in the UFC last week kicked the guy out, knocked him out with a front kick that I've never, I haven't seen in MMA for about six years, and I can't help but think karate's coming yes, back. Karate's <laughs> coming back. But my point being that obviously the original Karate Kid was very much Junior Rocky, wasn't it? All of us have grown up. Are they doing the Star Wars thing where they go, no, we're going for the kids, we're going for the kids? Or are they going for, no, we're going for the adults who watch Karate Kid? It's, a bit, it's, both. A, it's, it's both. both. It's a bit of both. And yeah. what I would say Excellent. is well you've, you've got the element of, the same element of the youngsters with the karate that you have in Karate Kid. And I say, I'm not going to give too much away. But then you've also got this almost psychological battle between Johnny and, da and Daniel LaRusso. And about three times throughout the season, they become friends. And literally one of them just says something or one of them brings up something from the past and it just sparks off again. 
I think the best thing it does is flips the original on his head. The, the very first episode focuses on Johnny Lawrence. Yeah. He is, initially, he seems like he's the hero of the piece. And, you know, it, I think from a lot of people's point of view, he probably is. Because Daniel LaRusso, he's done really well for himself in life. Johnny hasn't. And I think, even though the fact that Johnny, he's not a nice guy. He's a, he's a, he's a shit. He's a dickhead. You know, he's a, he's a crap father. He's just not a very nice guy, but because of his circumstances and because he is so downtrodden, and because Larusso is such a, it's a flip of what they were like when they were younger. Yeah, but is it? I was thinking, I was thinking about this after after we'd done after we'd written the article. Daniel was always a cocky, aggressive little bastard because yes, he had nothing, he was. and now he's a cocky, aggressive bastard who's got everything because he though. feels he's got to prove that he's got yeah. everything. Yeah, Johnny was always very sort of matter of fact, very straightforward, and because of his upbringing. And they delve into the backstory of why he oh, ended up being yeah. the way he is. Okay. And it's saying you'll watch mm-hmm. the original Criterion. Have you ever once given a thought to why is he such an arrogant? You know, why is he such a horrible bastard? Why yeah. is he such a bully? Mm-hmm. And in literally one scene, one flashback scene, you go, yeah. that's why. Is that there's a beautiful flashback scene in 1979. And that's why I say if you if you go back, having watched that, if you go back to Karate Kid now, I think you would view it with totally different eyes. But it's amazing then that they've made. So much they made a series of such thin sort of material, and it's working and it's brilliant. Where we've got certain certain films that can't make a, a decent film out of much, much, much more source material. Again, you've got to temper your expectations. That there are like like I say, episodes three and four are not great, mm-hmm. and you could argue that even the two leads, the, the their acting, Ralph Macchio, he isn't exactly the greatest actor. As long as you temper your expectations going in, yeah, mine were. Pretty much, I'd say neutral or thereabouts. The trailer did impress me, but I thought, is this going to be able to sustain itself for 10 episodes? The first I, two episodes blew me away. I thought One Trick Pony, to be honest. Um, like you say, if that had been two, two episodes or three episodes, having watched the trailers, I thought they could sustain that just on the nostalgia factor. Like you say, all right, yeah, they're not the greatest actors, and they're not, you know, not, this is never going to win any Emmys. But what I would say, it's obviously been written by a production team that genuinely loves that film. And it's in much the same fashion, it reminds me of conversations that we've had in the past where we've gone, do you know what would have made XYZ better is if they'd done this, as if they'd done that. Do you know what would have been a great sequel to this film is not this one, but if they'd done that. It's, you can tell there's a lot of love that has gone and a lot of inspiration has been taken from that. And it really works out. You've got to be honest, it really works out. Really, I'm yeah. really shocked by it. It's a damn good show and far better than it's got any right to be. And like a lot of the things we've seen lately, like Ready Player One, uh, Train Spotting 2 last year. Is well, it? we had yeah, Stranger Things as well. Stranger Things, on, on yeah. Nostalgia yeah. Vibe, yeah. yeah. Ghostbusters Revival. Yes. Okay, that's not always good. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still, it's still banking on it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a thing at the moment, isn't it? Nostalgia for the 80s is a thing. It's a bubble that will probably burst sometime soon. But I've got to say, out of all the... Things which are preying on your nostalgia, Cobra Kai, the concept of it, the, the sheer audacity to sort of bring this back in the way they've done it, they deserve all the success they get. The only problem I've got with it is the fact that it's on YouTube Red, it's not going to get that big an audience. Well, they're doing it now, like I said, I know at the beginning of it was only North America, but I think you can get it now on UK viewing for, I think it's 189 an episode or something. Yeah. But what I would say, like I say, going back to this, it reminds me a lot of uh, Creed, Yeah. where Ryan Coogler. It's, this is not a case of someone trying to make money out of your, out of one of your old childhood favourites. This is someone who grew up the same sort of age as you, loved that film, and has gone on and perfected it to make it good nowadays. Because how, how many times have we, have we watched a film from the eighties? And there were a lot of films in the eighties where it was a, a teenage cast, or you know things like. Yeah. 
uh, you know, the Goonies, things like that. I thought, I wonder where those characters are now. And here in Cobra Kai, we see Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence 34 years later. Well, I was going to say, Richard Donner's been talking for years, hasn't he, about doing the Goonies, yeah. Goonies sequel. Virtually everyone from the cast, Brolin especially, has said, you know, when you think Brolin at the moment, is like literally... Red hot. He's red, red hot. hot. Red hot. Yeah. <laughs> Kid's big. Yeah. <laughs> but even he, you know, even he said, yeah, okay, I'm starring in two, probably the two biggest films of the year, but I wanted to do that. I don't want to do that. Up until that point, I thought, what's the point? But no, I think... If someone can get hold of it and do what they've done with Cobra Kai, I'd want to see. Go- I'd want to see Goonies too now. Again, it's all in the writing, isn't it? The concept, yeah. the idea, yeah. the writing. Make sure you know the, some of the dialogue in Cobra Kai. As much as the delivery and the acting isn't always great, the stuff that is coming out of, of uh, Johnny Lawrence's mouth. You, at some points, I'm just there clapping. Sometimes cringing, but then other times <laughs> thinking, yeah. So anyway, Cobra Kai guys and girls, if uh, you're big fans of uh, the Karate Kids, you can do a lot worse than to dip into this. It's uh, Really good show. And what I will say to you is, when you get to episode 10, I will know when you've watched episode 10 the minute this finished because I will have a text off you. I take it then there's going to be, there's going to be a very um, moving, nostalgic reference that... Uh, the uh, last episode, I don't even know where to start, I'll give you spoiler territory, it is absolutely uh, a love letter See, to the original, but still relevant to today. Got you. Okay. <laughs> Just realised um, I didn't actually uh, give an introduction as to what this episode's going to be about. But uh, what's, what's the point? Uh, any, anyone that's now got this on their phone, on their tablet, on their computer and is listening to it, there's, there's a text description. You know you're here for Deadpool 2. You know we're going to be talking about our three favourite science fiction films. And then we're going to be taking some listener questions before we wrap things up. So uh, without further ado, gents, uh, on to our main review. Hit it! Where's this kid? He's in trouble. Move or die. Pump the hate breaks, Thanos. I ain't letting Cable get to him. But I can't do this alone. We need backup. We're gonna form a super duper fucking group. It's time to get back on LinkedIn. Meet Bedlam. My name's Shatterstar. Domino, I'm lucky. Luck isn't a superpower. And certainly not very cinematic. Yes, it is. Let's meet in the middle and say no, it isn't. Fuck it. It's showtime. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. I'm rocking my tears. Put suckers in fear. Making the tears rain down like a monsoon. Listen to my face go boom. Fucking hero. You're just a clown. Dressed up as a sex toy. So dark. You sure you're not from the DC universe? So our main review this week is Deadpool 2, 20th Century Fox's uh, follow-up to its massive 2016 R-rated, uh, incredibly subversive, downright awesome comic book movie Deadpool, uh, a film that I think we all pretty much loved from the outset. Uh, is that pretty much? Oh, Accurate, yeah, guys. Definitely. And I say this one, like I mentioned in uh, a, a review of 2017, our expectations, this was one of the big ones. Like, next to Infinity War, this was what I was most looking forward to. Came out of the first one, loving it. I thought it was great. I liked the way they'd made it adult. It had a lot of it had a lot of tokens left. I think, didn't we all see Deadpool together, the original? I think you guys did. I actually went on my own ah, right. on Valentine's Day. i got to be honest, I went straight after work, and I thought, right, I'm finishing at 5 o'clock. It was a Saturday night. I thought, it's Valentine's night. No one's going to be watching this. 
I'll go at 5.30 and watch it, the 5.30 show, because I know the 7 o'clock show in, you got the couples there. Yeah. I was quite right. I had to stand in a queue of people whilst the woman questioned me three times, is it just the one ticket? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then went into an empty cinema where I had complete control of the cinema, 400 seats, I could sit wherever I wanted, so I picked a nice seat right at the centre of the screen. Two minutes after the film began, a lone couple walked in. Who sat next to me? I thought you were going to say, you found your wife. No. <laughs> Um, all the way through the film, the guy next to me nudged me and laughed and made comments to me and totally ignored his date. <laughs> I can only hope wow. I can only hope that he got better, but I've got a feeling that I've got more chance of being married now than he has. <laughs> wow. Awesome. But awesome. I, again, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I've got to be honest, exactly the same today as well. Went to a very early show in. Nice to be able to laugh out loud and not be conscious of uh, the person next yeah. to you. Yeah. I wrote a piece for the site, um, I think, was it last week, just about the original Deadpool, uh, pr- you know, pretty much a, a retrospective of it, really. It still stands. Um, I love the film. It, given the fact it was made on a budget of $58 million and made... Peanuts. Yeah, peanuts for peanuts. Fox at the time. But they made that big risk. They, they went back and started again with a character that had been pretty much ruined in the god-awful X-Men Origins Wolverine, and gave Ryan Reynolds another chance because, you know, he he championed it. He really pushed for Fox to, to give him the chance to do the Deadpool character justice. It, it worked like gangbusters. Great film. How are you feeling going into this well, second film? But there will be a lot of spoilers in this. Yeah, so if you um, haven't seen the film already. No, we, th- this is going to be um, completely spoiler-filled, so if you haven't seen Deadpool 2, pause us now, go away and watch it, chuck us back on, and then uh, we're going to give you our warts and all discussion of the film. Jim, I'll start with you. Going into it, I was massively encouraged. I was, um, I've was i been championing a film called Hunt for the Wilder People, which starred uh, a guy in it, Julia Dennison, who's also in this. The young lad, yeah. The young lad, he got a gig from this. I watched it again. Hunt for the Wilder People, the night before going to see Deadpool 2. I turned to uh, the current companion and said to her, Deadpool 2 is going to be whether this kid can act or not. This film is great and I love it, but it's played around him being a child and directed around him being a child and he gets away with it and it's brilliant. But we're going to see on this if he can actually act. And the answer is, he can't. <laughs> this central sort of, uh, well, he's... He's an antagonist, really, isn't he? Russell, they call him. Yeah, Firefist. Yeah, Firefist. Fire yeah, he's a he's a young mutant with like pyro, uh, kinetic powers, and you know we, we've skipped over the beginning of the film, but pretty much he is the sort of main problem that Deadpool has got. Going back to the film's opening, guys, you've got that Bond style sort of. Well, uh, there's a part before that. I I saw the film about four days ago. <laughs> Given the fact I probably haven't had enough sleep since then. The bit you're talking about is obviously where his, his, his partner, Vanessa, gets killed. Does all of that happen before the Bond-style musical intro? Yes. It does? Because yeah. um, I haven't watched it at 11 o'clock this morning. Ah, yeah, of course you have. Vanessa, my one true love and future wife, gets killed. Mar- Marina Baccarin. Oh, Marina Gaskin, I think you'll find <laughs> Star of Firefly. She just doesn't know it. Yeah. The injunction's coming through the She pants. just doesn't know it. Gets killed. Uh, quite... Not brutally, but quite shockingly. It's, it's, yeah, it's surprisingly moving. And then yeah. from that, it goes into the credit scene, the Bond-style opening credits. Yeah. And whereas last time we had the ass hats and CGI character, the first three... Cause I was still in shock. I was like, no, you can't kill Vanessa. The first three or four titles that came up and actually referencing what's just happened, like 
from oh my god, can you can you believe they killed her? But before Vanessa gets killed, then that's the bit that shows him going around these different places like Hong Kong and Japan, yeah. killing yeah. killing yeah. Uh, your bad guys. Now yeah. that's the bit I'm referring to. Yeah. You've got that sort of that that's that's the the, the, the prologue. Yeah. Then you've got the the gut punch. Well, it actually starts off with him. He's working as, hard, isn't no, it? No, I was going to say much the same way as the first film. It starts off mid action. He does his narration over the top because he's going to kill himself. That's right. He's uh, lying on the cans of gasoline in uh, his apartment. Then it goes yeah. to the uh, Hong Kong and um, Italy, Italy, and yeah, yeah around the world killings, uh, which for no for no reason at all. Because I'm pretty sure. Why Deadpool suddenly become an international assassin? I don't really understand. No, he said he'd gone international. Yeah, I don't really understand why he felt the need to go international, but it was it worked for me. It was yeah. great. Yeah, you know, it was great. Then we get to the Vanessa part. I can't talk too much about that, boys, because I don't want to cry in front of you. Tissue. Um, well, I need. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, let's let's hey, skip it. Let's... Where, where, where she's around, there's always a tissue required. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Not even going to edit that out. No, keep it in. I wanted to hear that. Then we go to the the Bond style opening. Jim, you're a massive Bond fan. Did that? Uh, did that tickle your bits? It did tickle my bits. I was there. I was there. I was there. My bits were being tickled anyway because it was in the cinema. But um, yeah, great. I, I didn't really see the need, but I was just like, right, okay, we'll do that then. It's, it, but it's Deadpool. It gets so much. It can get away with so so much. Yeah. Well, the, the old fourth wall thing there is. Yeah. If if Deadpool's breaking the fourth wall for me, he's gonna do. He can do, he do whatever like he wants. Yeah, he's gonna, no, but he's gonna pick a bomb. He can do, he's yeah, gonna go he bigger do, and better than the last one. He can do Busby Bussy yeah. number. Yeah. It doesn't matter. The, the upshot of the, the the death of Vanessa is the fact, and this, this is what really pulled the rug from under me early on. I didn't expect there to be such sort of emotional impact in this film. Yeah, I, I, I just thought it was going to be like let's just throw as many um, dick and fart jokes Good. as we you know against the wall, see what sticks. You know, we'll just fill it in with a load of action, over-the-top violence, and, and things like that. I didn't expect it to be as... I'm not going to go as far as to say moving, but it well, wasn't what I was expecting. I, I, I mean, in a good way. Yeah, and I was going to say, I think throughout... We'll talk more as we go on, but I think throughout this, there's a few rug pulls in this film where you're going into it expecting one thing and perhaps get another thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah? So, Vanessa's gone. Deadpool's in a slump. He, he finds newfound motivation to go out and prove himself. So... The Deadpool in the first film pretty much was saying, I'm going to operate on on my own. Didn't want any real part you know, of, of the X-Men. Finds himself then going to the X-Mansion because he needs some help. Needs some help from his old buddy Colossus from the first film. The same to X-Men, already, yeah, always yeah. at home. Negasonic Teenage Warhead is there with now her girlfriend. She's now the first overt lesbian Marvel character that we've had. This is the first gay relationship in a superhero film. Yeah, It's mentioned in one line. Nobody gives a shit, and they get on with it. Then also, we've got, later on, Deadpool putting references into the fact that Cable's being a racist. Yeah. Now, it, it, it covers all the bases of making comments about... Black. About, yeah... Uh, What's his name, Black? I can't remember his name, not the character's name. Black, Black Tom Cassidy. Black yeah. Tom yeah, Cassidy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Kill right. Black Tom okay. Cassidy. Within making mentions of Cable being racist, he's obviously pointed out that black Tom Cassidy is not black. No, he's white, and he's again, Irish. Yet yeah. again, we're jumping yeah. on the thing of nobody gives a shit. Yes. Let characters be natural. That's films. right. This film gets that right. Exactly. Man. And it, it's making fun of these people who were saying, you can't say this, you can't say that. The, 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 the political correctness, social justice warrior crew. But at the same time, pointing out, yes, this character's gay. We're openly, openly acknowledging that. But we're not going to make a big thing of it because we don't need to. It's about who this character is and what she brings to the story. If one of you guys came out tomorrow and said, I've decided, or not I've decided, sorry, I've been living a lie, I've always been gay, would it change our friendship? 
No, no not at no. all. Not at all. So, did, did, do you need to might spice it up? Yeah, might spice it up. You never know. Yeah, <laughs> but do you need to make a big thing out of it? I love the way that was handled. I got to be yeah, honest. Yeah, and there's a lot of it throughout the film, and again, it's, it's sort of subversive humour, but at the same time, there's a lot of thought gone behind it. So he goes to the X Mansion and he addresses the real big <laughs> elephant in the room: the fact that. How come every time I come to the mansion, there's just you two here? I was going to say, straight away, Susie did that. I was like, oh, you've done that joke already. And then... Blink and you'll miss it. Probably one of the greatest group cameos we'll ever see in a film like this. You see the whole, pretty much the whole cast the of X-Men, class, including... Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Quicksilver was there, wasn't he? As well? yeah. Yeah, we've got James McAvoy's Professor X. They all give a bit of a sort of, oh, what's going on out there? Beast closes the door. Beast closes the door. I was going to say, I think it's the complete cast for the new Dark Phoenix film. Yes, because I think... But it's it's all the characters you know off first class. Both both, uh, Dark Phoenix and Deadpool, so I think they wrapped around at the same time. So that's how they managed to get them all together. So they probably actually filmed it on the same set, let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. When he puts uh, Professor X's headset on... He's wearing Cerebro, yeah. Yeah, he refers to it as smelling of Patrick Stewart. (laughs) (laughs) Which is... Yeah, we love that. So I don't know what timeline he's in, but he's obviously enjoying himself. So for anyone that's listening to this now, hopefully you're going to be a a fan of Deadpool, the original, and comic book movies in general. I I do apologise, we're talking about comic book movies again, but unfortunately... Well, we're reviewing a film that came out. Deadpool 2 came out this week, so this is the big film. We didn't want to go and watch another comic movie. No. We've just done Avengers. Yeah, I I really, (laughs) you know, I I, I love them. We all love this this sort of big bubble of comic book movies. You did Casablanca last week, mate. We did, yeah. Me and Jim weren't there. We were talking about comic book films. Your your episode was very good. Right, so... (laughs) We do want to mix it up. If you're familiar with Deadpool, then you're going to know that the fourth wall is going to get broken all the time. Deadpool as a character, he's pretty much crazy. He's insane. He doesn't really live in the real world as it is. But is he insane in this film? Because I say the Deadpool, yeah, the Deadpool no. character that we know from yeah. the comics is he's insane because insane. The, the cancer that's ravaging his body is causing his is psyche in his mind to fracture and and, and break yeah. down. That's why in the first film, there's the scene with a knife in his yeah, head and, and he's, he's seeing unicorns and stuff like that. There's a, there's a load of that in the comic books. But I will say, Ryan Reynolds' take on the character, whilst he is, again, oh, we're going to repeat ourselves now, like we say about Robert Downey Jr. being that character, he is Iron Man. Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool. He is Deadpool. But his take is slightly more zany rather than, yeah. than yeah. mentalist. Yeah, but then there's moments like when he goes to he goes to this school where young mutants are sort of being rounded up and, and abused. He's there with uh, Negasonic Teenage Warhead, Yukio, and and Colossus, and he's there in his uh, sort of trainee kit, his yellow trainee X Men shirt. Oh, so funny! And then he blows the brains out of one of the doctors there. Yeah. So that is the crazy fucked up. You know, yeah, Deadpool that we know. The difference between Deadpool, comic book Deadpool, and cinematic Deadpool is cinematic Deadpool is perhaps more wisecracking yes, for the point of getting a laugh, whereas you sort of get the impression with comic book Deadpool that he's actually believing what he's G- saying. Yeah, he, he yeah. genuinely is, and he is genuinely insane. Yeah. However, cinematic Deadpool is very good. Oh, it, yeah. yeah I, I can't complain about the you know the Ryan Reynolds version of Deadpool that we've got because you know two years ago or a little bit longer than that. This was all just a pipe dream, and it, it never seemed like the, the film would ever get made. Well, they say after, especially after X Men Origins. I mean, everyone was up in arms about that, and for years, I mean, we just wanted. And even when 
Fox finally greenlit after the sort of uh, internet campaign, after they greenlit it. I mean, for the first couple of months, Reynolds was still saying, this is going to be PG-13, we're not going to be able to do it justice. He was still saying, he, was, he wasn't yeah. sure for him, you know. Yeah. So there was always that sort of a bit of ambiguity about whether this film was ever going to be given justice. The first film, I would say, for a very small budget. Did amazingly well. And a very quick turnaround as well from that viral campaign to the film actually going into production, was, yeah. was done amazingly well. Yeah. How much of that was already pre-planned, I don't know. But yeah. So, Jamie, you're, you're a big comic book fan. What sort of knowledge have you got of the, the X-Force um, team? <sighs> I was looking forward to seeing Cable, I've got to, I've got to yeah. say. He, you know, he's, um, he's been massive, probably in the last sort of 20 years. I'd say longer than that. Massive, massive character. Was it, wasn't he first introduced? Wouldn't it be the, the, was it the Jim Lee run? Possibly. Yeah, there was that sort of X-Men rebirth back in, uh, I think, <coughs> the, the early 90s. And, um, oh, it's, I'm going to be kicking myself, but the, the name of the author that was responsible for I can just see the cover now with Magneto, with his force field up, and yeah. Cyclops yeah, blasted oh, with yeah. all the other X-Men. Yeah, sorry, I said Jim Lee. Jim Lee was the actual artist. And th this was the sort of 1990s revival of X-Men written by Chris Claremont. And yeah. for me, that was that was where I first became interested in comic books. These were the comics that, that, that brought me into this whole world, and especially into the whole Marvel Universe. I think Cable was pretty much, he was a big part of that because you had the thing with Cable coming back from the, the, the future with the techno-organic virus. You had the yeah. characters of Strife. Um, you had uh, Mr. Sinister involved. They, 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 for me, it's, it's the golden era of comics. He's, he's a big, big character and I think we're going to get to the, the meat of this film now. They've thrown him in at Deadpool. Is it the last we're going to see of him? Is no, it, it, it's almost a throwaway. If you put anyone in with Deadpool... Are you really going to see him again? There was no massive intro to him. He's just there in the future. Yeah. And and he, now that's that's a part of the problem I've got because you say that, Jim. Yeah. Now the the cable I know comes from this horrendous post-apocalyptic future where Apocalypse, the yeah. X Men villain that we just saw bastardized a few years ago yeah. in X Men Apocalypse, which is just probably the X Men film that if you told me back after the first film in two thousand that they would be gearing up to make an X Men Apocalypse film, there would have been no one more excited than me. Yeah. The character of Apocalypse was for a long time my favorite X Men villain. He was done an incredible disservice. Uh, the film's a massive disappointment. You know that that sort of killed all hope of me ever seeing a decent version of, of this era of comics on screen. And when I heard the Cable was going to be in Deadpool 2. Um, I thought, well, you know, that, that that's great and all, but when you've got Cable without Apocalypse, without the, all the other baggage that he brings from his storyline, I think you're going to be doing a character a disservice. Yeah. Who is he? Exactly. I think Brolin, Brolin's massively, you know, hot at the moment after his amazing portrayal of Thanos. You know, he doesn't do very much more than grunt. It's always going to be a problem with a Deadpool movie. Who do you put in with him? Because you ain't going to see him anywhere else. So all the fans who are like, oh, I can't wait to see Cable, then you yeah. may turn up in a sequel, but he's going to be he's going to be Deadpool's bitch for the rest yeah. of his life. Yeah, to a certain degree, I agree with you. But this was the one major sort of problem I had with this film. The major concern I had before seeing this film was this is just going to be a franchise setup now. Yeah. And I've got a feeling you if they, if they go the way it's obviously going to go now with the X-Force, with Cable yeah. being in it, you might see more development of the character. That's not knocking Brolin in this, because I thought Brolin was really good in this. I just don't think he was given a lot to do. No, exactly. Yeah? No. I think that's a fairer assessment. Yeah. You, you've got him sort of almost playing up to the comedic character that is front and centre here. Yeah. Whereas what I would have preferred is if he played it completely straight throughout. Now, this is maybe why I think... I, did they need to cast Brolin in this? Because initially, a lot of fans were saying, you know, they've cast Brolin. Initially, people were saying, what about Stephen Lang? 
from Avatar. Now, yeah, he's a good bit older than Bronin, but he has got more of that sort... I, I can't ever see him playing a comedic character, which would be perfect for the role of Cable, because at no point in the books is Cable ever anything other than yeah. a dour focused but ultimately he's not a comedic character there's not a funny bone in his in his body is there i, I just don't know if if brolin was needed in this role and like you say jim do we really need cable in? could they put another character in there to to act as the yeah i mean the, in the original the only one you see is what colossus who's known and he's uh you know he's very good in it the rest everyone else involved in that first one you're not burning marvel characters on the order of deadpool no now you put in a major character you've not you've not given him anything really to do except grunt he's gone i think you know i had a lot of issues with the film i think reynolds is going to do a great job as the main character but i think he's probably been given far too much leeway in this what i was going to say with, with cable you go one or two ways with this character you either do justice or you bring him in much in the same way he was introduced in the sort of like end trailer thing. Well, well maybe next time we'll do Cable. The names are thrown. Stephen Lang would have been a good one. They mentioned people like Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. You know, if you're going to do it in this way, if you're going to do it as in um, a straightforward sort of just one-off character, I'd rather have done it. I think that's a lot of the problem now is Thanos blew us all away. Although it's motion capture, we sort of went into this now with a heightened sense of expectation, perhaps, based on that performance. Definitely, yeah. I think we've all like been... I say, this is, like I just said to Jim, this is not to knock Brolin in any way, because I think Brolin was absolutely superb in this role. I just don't think he was given enough to do. I'm tempering my expectations too much on what I wanted from the character of Cable, a character that I know so well from, from the, you know, the Chris Claremont era of, of X-Men, and, and, you know, the going on then into the 2000s where he was you know pretty much a prominent character I, seeing him in a, in a what is effectively a comedy that's my issue i don't think he's the right character yeah. there especially then when you've got him playing into the sort of you know, he becomes part of the joke i want him to be the straight man to deadpool's you know yeah character and when you look at the sort of whole premise of deadpool as a character which is this character is fucking awesome and was done a major misservice with Wolverine Origins. Yeah, right? yeah. Why would you then pick another awesome character and yeah. do the same disservice? It does smack a little bit it, of again, but you know, it's not as bad as what they did. With, no, it's no, not. Near, no, it's, you know, no, it's, no, like so you said, we, we like we like Brolin. You know, we, there's just certain things about the the, the cable character in here that I just don't think yeah, let's work. Just, in little bits that he got to do, was he any good? Yeah, it's. He was. Yes. He's was the he... character well-written and well-rounded? No. Yeah, I think there were some issues there. Yeah. My other issue is with... There's a lot of action in this film. Yes. There was a lot of action in the first film. This film is directed by David Leitch or, or David Leitch. Leitch, yeah. Leitch. The only other film that he's directed, I think, that we would have seen is is Atomic Bond, a film that's full of some great action scenes. Yeah, like you he, said as well. He partly directed, he co-directed, sorry, I should say, uh, John, the original John Wick. I think primarily... Because I think he's done over 80 sort of um, set action pieces for different films. Yeah. I think primarily with John Wick, it was the fight scenes and the gun scenes, which I which pretty, we love. Pretty much all the film. We love. So he didn't do. He didn't do the bit where his wife died. <laughs> I think he co-directed John Wick. Hmm. I didn't find anything. I didn't. I can't recall anything outstanding about the action in Deadpool Two. No, there was one scene where he's fighting sort of Yakuza, yeah, which looked all CGI the to me. Even the even the the non the human characters in it, it looked like it had all been done in a computer. The opening scene, whilst that was great, it reminded me a lot of the original internet campaign for Deadpool, yes. yeah. where it looked very CG. Yeah. Now, 
fucked me the shitload of money on taking a risk and god bless them for doing it yeah they've pumped more money into this and I'd like to have seen a better quality product yes I, I, I think yeah I agree Neil I think a lot of the a lot of the action in it isn't as polished uh, you've got a big chase scene uh, yeah. through the city in the truck a, a lot of that looked very uh, that sort of light artificial CGI feel yeah. you go back and look at the Nick Fury chase scene in Captain America the Winter Soldier it's it is it is that is, that is textbook how to do an action scene uh, you, the, you do it for real I was going to say the visual look of that is like comparing uh, almost like a traffic cam camera to Grand Theft Auto yes yeah yeah. if you look at that that chase scene and the, the little teaser trailer at the end of Avengers Infinity War with the that's obviously CGI with the, the helicopter crashing into the building it looks a damn sight more it looks convincing. a damn sight yeah. more convincing this is what I think a lot of the issues with Deadpool 2 are and when I I was looking back for a bit of um, maybe to find some interesting trivia I could throw in here because I Nothing really has been made public as to why Tim Miller has left the project other than the fact that in October 2016, Miller said he wouldn't be returning as director for Deadpool 2 because he decided not to return due to mutual creative differences with lead actor Ryan Reynolds. Now, every time a studio kicks this out, creative differences. Now That just means we don't agree anymore. Th that's the sort of, yeah, that's like the sort of standard... <laughs> do what I tell him. Yeah, I don't yeah. like you. <laughs> we, we, we've seen it again, haven't we, with uh, the recent solo film, or, or the soon-to-be-released oh, yeah. solo film, where yeah. Ron Howard has taken over from... Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Chris, yeah, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. So, so Tim Miller stated that he left the sequel because he didn't want to make some stylized movie that was three times the budget and wishes that the same kind of film that had been made the first time was done the second time. No, just, just you know, go go with the same sensibilities of the first film. Don't throw all the money at it because if you do, I think what you end up with is a film that's overburdened with action scenes. It's doing too much at once instead of having a focused storyline. It had a focused storyline. If you look at the central storyline of Cable coming back from the future to kill this little kid, that in the future has become this pyromaniac killer that kills his wife and children. It's quite a lazy premise. Let's be honest. If if I say to you guys, hey guys, I'm going to write a script. What's it about? It's about a guy, a semi-robotic guy coming back from the future to kill a child who's going to do something bad in the future. Where were you at that what before? Are we, what are we, what are yeah. we looking at? Yeah, what yeah. The first yeah. Thing? I think I've seen that film. And that was a very lazy premise. And like you say, I think with this, this film doesn't know what it wants to be. Or do. Well, yeah. yeah. Agreed. Agreed. They're trying to set up, they're trying to set up a, a threequel. They're trying to set up a franchise. They're joking yeah. about it in the film. But they're not doing it in the right way. And like you say, the, the refreshing thing about this sounds like I'm sleeping the film. I actually enjoyed the film. The refreshing thing about the original Deadpool was this is something you never thought you'd see. Mm. And then when they did it, they did it as a love story. To yeah. me, it's the modern day Romeo and Juliet. That's, you know, like, mm. you know, it's great. This one, it tries to do the same thing. It just doesn't quite get it yeah. on the nail, does it? It, no. it, it? It's all over the place. There's there's bits of, like, just over the top absurdity. That, that There's one point that there's a character that's going to be introduced, another villain character that sort of teams <laughs> up with Russell. That completely took me by surprise. One of mine, and I know it's one of your favourite characters, yeah. Jim. Yeah. Juggernaut. Juggernaut. Yeah. Let's not pussyfooting around. It's yeah. Juggernaut. No, yeah. unfortunately, I'd read that months ago. There was rumours about Juggernaut. I and, I just, and I just thought, they're not going to do this, right? It's not going to happen. They won't do it. This is all, mm. this is all sub supposition. <clears throat> I will say, it was a damn sight better than Vinnie Jones, who was the elephant in the room. They could have been ripping into his portrayal of, of Juggernaut. They didn't. 
But he, I liked it. It was a massive CGI creation, but they preempted it by saying it's going to be a massive CGI fight. Um, but I like this juggernaut. Yeah, but then don't go making fun of the fact that you haven't been able to do a good CGI battle with a, with two big CGI characters because then we're going to have to watch that. Mm. It isn't satisfying. It doesn't look good. Mm. At the same time, a film that's, that's making fun and is extremely self-referential of its origins, don't then ignore the fact that you've rejuvenated a character from another film because obviously we'll talk about the end credits later. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll come to that. They address <coughs> things that we've already discussed with previous iterations of the character. Don't then skip over the fact that the, the juggernaut in, on in, in X-Men The Last Stand, the Vinnie Jones version, was terrible. Address it. Make fun of it. Use that to your advantage. You're going to squeeze about another three or four jokes out of that, but they didn't say anything about it. As much as I would have loved them to have joked about it, and I was exactly the same thing was going through my head, I thought, oh, right, here come all the Vinnie Jones jokes. Vinnie Jones' Juggernaut looked better than the Juggernaut we got oh. given in that film. The, the, the CGI juggernaut in this film is not great, Jim. You've got to come. Oh, the CGI wasn't great, but it looked like the juggernaut. It did. Of a it did. Yes, it did look more like. Yeah, I'll, it give did. You, I'll give you that. I'd like <clears> to say, I would actually say he looked better than this juggernaut. I'm not saying he was a better juggernaut, but this one, you're doing it with Deadpool. You're going right. We're going to correct the timeline. We're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to say X Men Origins. Deadpool was awful. We're going to do you fan service. If you're bringing juggernaut into the film. Don't chuck something at me that looks like it could be coming off Dargate or something like that. TV quality, okay. mate. It was fucking right, terrible. Yeah, like if you look what Mark Ruffalo's done with the Hulk, you know, the potential is there. Yeah, yeah, you know, the potential is there. In these days. Going back to Deadpool, there was loads and loads and loads of stuff thrown at us. A lot of it didn't work. Yeah. And that was one of the things that didn't work. There was very much the, the, there was very much a first draft feel to this film, wasn't there? Yeah. It was quite or, spitballing. Or... Reynolds has, Reynolds has been given carte blanche and he said, no, I want to do this, I want to do that, and no one's telling him no. There was so much thrown at us. I came out thinking, it was fun. I don't mind spending time with Reynolds' Deadpool, but it wasn't great. Yeah, yeah. I, I found myself openly acknowledging the fact that I think for the first hour I wasn't laughing anywhere near as much as I'd expected to and certainly as much as I was on the first film. And that for me, when, you, when you, you sat in a Deadpool film with yeah. the sort of sense of humour that we all share... I really should have been laughing much more than I was. I think it was a good seven or eight minutes before I even sort of raised a chuckle. Sitting there on my own today, if I've been, if you, oh. if, if you guys have been sat over beside me for the first twenty minutes, I think I'd have been throwing one of you worrying glances. It does pick up and mm. it does get a lot better as the film progresses, is what I would say. Right? Yes, it does. The first portion of the film is all over the place tonally. I don't think he knows what it wants to be, and then all of a sudden he actually gets this idea: I need to put my own team together, and then he forms X Force. He then forms X Force with Shatterstar, who's a character from the Mojo Verse, yeah. uh, <laughs> who's a complete dick in, in the books. You had Domino, who we'll come to later. No. You had Bill Skarsgård from it. Playing yeah. Zeitgeist, who spits acid. The my Vanisher, who again, we'll come to later. Terry Crews is Bedlam. My, fa my favourite favorite muscly guy. Man. I know this will come up again. <laughs> muscly funny man. Yeah, <laughs> Terry Crews is Bedlam. He's got a lot more work since you put that out there. You've also got The Vanisher. Now, their first mission, where they're intercepting the, this convoy who's, who's transporting uh, Russell from the icebox to mm. another sort of uh, penitentiary. So yeah. just for convenience, it's yeah. always a convoy they've got to intercept, isn't it? And the first mission just goes absolutely disastrously wrong when they're thwarted by a light breeze. <laughs> I think we've missed out the most important member of X-Force, and that is uh, Rob oh. Delaney as Pete. No, I, what I, what I, are your powers? Um, I haven't got any. Oh, great. You're in. And I love the fact that Rob Delaney, I, just, I don't know if any of you guys have watched uh, Catastrophe. No. It's one of those strange ones where you sort of watch it thinking this is going to be rubbish, and then two or three episodes into it, 
you'll love it. It's on Channel 4 in the UK. It's also on Netflix uh, for international viewers. Carrie, the late Carrie Fisher's in it, playing his mum. Wow. That's all I'm going to tell you. It's great. Only catastrophe. Right, okay. now, he's one of these guys that you sort of get the impression that he could be incredibly good-looking if he tried. And the screenshot, the headshot thing that he gave him, yeah. I think was probably one of those weeks when he was, like, dieting or yeah. something. His comic timing is amazing. He's only given a small part of this. Don't believe what you see in the trailers. His comic timing is tremendous. He could be a recurring character in any more Deadpool films. So they give him more time. Yeah, they, need to, they, need to, they need to replace TJ Miller. Hmm. And Reynolds has gone on record as saying that he will replace TJ Miller in the third film now. Because TJ Miller, as well as the sort of sex allegations now, is now making prank phone calls about people having bombs on trains. So he's, he's, he's lost completely fucking lost. Oh, Jesus Christ. So I'd like to see Pete replace him. That would explain one of my other criticisms, is that didn't seem to... The, the characters from the original were were almost shoehorned into this. So it was... like I enjoyed TJ Miller's performance in the first one. I liked to see more of him. And it was almost like, oh, uh, we need to put him in this one. Uh, yeah. We'll see him at the bar. He's at the bar. We'll stick him in another time over here, and that's that. So you've established these characters in the first one. Pinder as well. So Pinder. Pinder was a a lot better. Yeah. Blind Miller was missing. Blind Al, the old lady. And the old lady was missing. They literally were just shoehorned in. It looked like at the end, it's like, oh, we haven't got them in. We'll put them in. So I I issued that, but I wasn't aware that TJ Miller was facing a relegation. Since then, he was on a train, I think, a couple of months ago. Started phoning about people having Al Qaeda bombs and stuff. So he's he's obviously a fucking he's music. Yeah. So he's going to be gone. Yeah. So Peter So the formation then of X Force, and we think, yeah, this is franchise building. And at that point, I'm thinking, yeah, where are they going to well, go was, with this? Is this going to be just like we're going to set up a bigger thing? They all get killed. Well, I was I was going to say totally they all get killed. Yeah, another case of a Marvel film selling you. Uh, trailer saying this is the way this film's going to go. Subverting expectations. And I can't fault them for that. It, it is, that's where for me the film turned. And the way they died as well, like you say, I like Breeze. And just just <laughs> the, the way they died. you got Terry Crews' character just they're like, it's head first in the best. Just guys kind of going into the bloody chopper. Yeah, Pete, Peter dying whilst trying to pull him out of yeah. the chopper. <laughs> and then the vanisher hits some electric cables and we briefly see that. When he's visible, he's Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. And, and Deadpool kind of goes, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That worked. Yeah, that worked. That worked. Yeah, that worked. Like I say, you know, it's not all bad. It's not all doom and gloom. You know, the, the, the juggernaut then, and, and we've got to go full circle back to Russell. If he's the villain of the piece, which ultimately isn't really, he's just a young kid that needs saving. Yeah. Yes, that's something to sort of act as a, you know, a linchpin for the plot to get. Deadpool to come full circle and do his sort of fatherly thing yeah. and, and sort of help this kid out. But Russell didn't work for me. No. He's, his, his acting was poor. He was all over the place with his motivations. Towards the end of the film, you kind of find out why his motivations are all over the place. It wasn't given enough time. It wasn't given enough payoff. There was a lot of times during that film, I was like, oh, he's, he's, a, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's a hurt, damaged kid. They sort of they flicked, they they flicked they it back over and forth and brushed over it. Yeah. It's almost like you can see the decision. Whoever was doing the casting went, oh, there's a kid who's damaged. It's going to be that kid from And the Will be a brilliant job in that. But then, as you say, they didn't give him enough. Like Brolin, he doesn't get enough. So uh, it may not be his fault. It may be the way he was written. But I I wasn't that impressed. It just seemed very rushed and very sort of choppy. And and one thing I didn't notice until after I'd seen the film, no Stan Lee cameo. 
Now I know he's ill. Yeah. And I know he's, his health is suffering. Mm. <sighs> there was a certain point in that film where I was like, we just need because off the trailers. The initial international part where Deadpool comes out of the coffin and starts shooting people, I was convinced that Stanley was sat at the front yeah. of the afternoon cortege and he's not. That would have worked, yeah. So yeah, no Stanley. Let's go ahead to the end. He puts on the collar that inhibits his powers and he gets shot and then we've got probably the most longest drawn out death that scene. No, I love that. A lot of people now, a lot of people would I know a lot of people are gonna hate that. Th- there there is a theory that any joke, if repeated enough, will get gradually less funny. The more it is then repeated, it will then start to get funnier and it will then peak to a level where it's funnier than it originally was. We didn't get that with this. No, No, when I say I love that, what I'm going to say is I love that I had the confidence to try and do that. And it reminded me of a lot of the things that me and you used to talk about years ago. The Family Guy bits that would just go on far too long. Yes. I don't think it was intentionally supposed to be funny. Mm. It was more cringeworthy. Um, If you look at it from that fact, then it works. But this film is already, uh, you know, it's already two hours long. You know, two hours is a good runtime for a film. But if you're going to release a two-hour film these days where everything else is two hours 15, some films two hours 30, like Infinity yeah. War, if you're going to go for that under two-hour mark, I think you've got to be a little bit more judicious in, in your editing. And that joke on paper... It dragged thinking, out too know, long. If we're going to drag out a death scene to four to five minutes, it's really got to hit it on the nose. It's got to be funny. and Make sure it, it, it sticks and landed. I don't think it did. No, it didn't. I, I, love. I love the ambition of trying to do that. Now, if that had been the way the film had ended, then for me, I probably would have come out on much more of a downer than I did. Yeah. And the reason why now I'm going straight to the post credit scene is, let's be honest, guys, it, rocked. it did everything. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it actually... It's better than the it, rest of the film. It picked up the film to a level where I came out of it and thought, I actually think I enjoyed that quite a lot. Because it was such a good... You know, I, I, left the, I left the cinema on a high. But then thinking back about the rest of the film now, when you're in university writing a dissertation and your last couple of pages, that's all your best work. Because whoever's marking that, you want them to forget about the fact that the other preceding 25 pages have been a load of crap. Yeah? <laughs> I think that's what's happened here. Not that the rest of the film was a load of crap, but it was certainly... it was The, the highlight of the film came at the very yeah. end. And that sort of tricked me into thinking I'd enjoyed the film a lot more probably than I did. I may well enjoy it a lot more on second viewing. We keep saying this, second viewing is so important. But overall, for me, Deadpool 2 is a little bit of a disappointment. It's much bigger in scope and scale, but in a lot of ways, a lot more rough around the edges in so much as the writing, the effects, some of the performances. Guys, am I am I alone here? No, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think um, I was sat there going, they've blown this. It's, it's, it's an average film. It's a mess of a film. It doesn't know what it's doing. And, and, and like you, the end... Kind of cleaned it up for me. And I said, okay, I've enjoyed watching Ryan Reynolds be Deadpool. I think the film overall is a six. And with Reynolds' performance and bits and pieces thrown in, you might just get a seven. I'm, I'm torn. Part of me is thinking, you know, don't be so ungrateful. You've got a, a really, and let's be fair, some of the language in this film is, is obscene. Fantastic. Loads of C-bombs. I don't think that it's as violent as the first film the opening scene where you see all people getting their limbs chopped off a lot of it's from a distance you don't yeah. see as much close-up gore as you did in the first film that initial shootout in the first film with the uh, sort of SUVs I mean some of that is like just insane brutal it's isn't insane. it insane why did they hold back so much on the violence in the film when you actually see the, the flash of Deadpool with his sort of children's or, or well, we've babies. Yeah, we, we've totally forgotten to mention. There's obviously there's Let's one. Go back. <laughs> there's one bit in the film where Juggernaut pulls Deadpool in half, and yeah. then 
we imagine his legs are brushed aside and his Which, like his little hand he's yeah like his little, little hand in the first one he grows little legs back and a little baby penis as well little, and which we see in a it's all a bit distasteful. It is, they, and for us to say something is distasteful, yeah. it really is saying something. Yeah. They actually used a, a motif harking back to Jerry Goldsmith's music from the Basic Instinct in the same scene. Where yeah, it was. It was, was, it, was, yeah, it, was it was the same piece of music. That left me a little bit uncomfortable, i got to say. I don't think they needed to do it, and it was like, look, this is literally one dick and fart joke too far. Well, you go one or two ways. It, it, was, it was Farley Brothers humour. You either draw a line and say, we're going to do a fairly safe comedy... Or you do a complete gross-out comedy. And this film flex between the two of them. Mm. It, so, it, right, it doesn't know what it wants to be. So yeah. when you get to that stage of the basic instinct part, yeah. it doesn't fit in with the, the feel of the film because you're flicked yeah. from one to the other. Yeah. Had that film set its stall out from the start and said, right, we're just going to turn everything up to 11 now. Yeah. Yeah. You saw what happened in the first one. We're going to ramp it up now because we know we've got a market for it. The people over 12 want to see comic book movies. So they really could have done something with it. They haven't done it with this. They've they've sort of almost flirted with it. Yeah. And when you get things like that, it almost takes you out of the moment because you're like, well, I unset my, you know, I unset myself. Pick a side. Yeah. Yeah. Pick, pick a pick yeah, a straight right. line where you're gonna yeah. go and and stick with it instead of pulling the audience here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. So gents, let's get to it. Deadpool two. Right. Let's go back because we haven't covered the first one. What would you have scored the original Deadpool, Jim? Oh, eight. Easy. I agree. I yeah. give it an eight, and I mean a high eight, a confident yeah. high eight. Yeah. Neil. I'd have gone for a nine because I was I probably would have been a high eight, but I was more amazed that they pulled it off. So I'd have gone nine. So now we sat those stall there, eight, eight, and nine for the original Deadpool. Gents, what are your scores? What's the film eighty nine final verdict from each of you for Deadpool two? Seven. Neil? Go with a very low eight. So Jim? Yeah, I I, I, I what go, was your size? Seven. 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 Low seven. 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 Oh, it's a low seven. It's a high seven for me and a low seven for Jim. I'll I'll bump my six point nine up to a seven then. It's a reluctant <laughs> seven. It's a reluctant on, on, seven. On a, on a second viewing. It may go either way. I, I've got a feeling when I saw it earlier on in the week that I, I, I went in quite tired, which is never a good thing for me going into a comedy. Yeah. Or a film that I've got quite high expectations for. I think that may have tempered things. I will allow it the chance of a second viewing, so I will bump my six point whatever up to a seven. I'm going to go completely the other way. Obviously, you guys have seen it. We decided we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to make any comment about it. The fact that neither of you two broke that code of silence yeah, exactly. convinced me that you two were messaging each other going, Neil's going to fucking love this when he sees it. Mm-hmm. So I'd really wrap myself up for it. I had a large Costa, which I took in with me because <sighs> it was a very early... I took a coffee, coffee into the cinema. Into the cinema Dead to me. Because it was early doors. So, Neil, can I just tell you... So I was really amped yeah, and Neil. really pumped and I was slightly let down by this film. <laughs> just, to, just to remind you, the fact that you've just said on here now that you took a coffee. Yeah, I took a coffee. You are aware of this podcast to get broadcast to the general public. Any, uh, anyone can listen to it. Are I, you, you going to... I actually took a coffee into the cinema. Oh, okay. I, Neil, That's worse I, than the film. I can't promise I won't. So I can't, say, I can't say I was tired. I can't say there was anything wrong with me. I'm, I did feel for the first 20, 30 minutes of this film very deflated. And I'm not going to blame that on tiredness. It, it was literally my first day off from work. I, had, I got up at a reasonable hour. I had quite a good sleep. I had an energy drink and a coffee. And I was still slightly deflated by it. <laughs> Can I just say, when I went into the cinema, I didn't take a full cup of coffee. I got there 30 minutes early. So I drank the coffee in Costa. So I took in the remnants of coffee. Not like Richie Roberts, who will take in a full cup you've, of coffee. You've technically, you've taken a coffee. You've taken a hot beverage into the cinema. Again, I 
I don't need to remind you of the laws of decency against that very thing. I can only apologise to the listening audience. Is, they, Neil, there's no need. There's no need because decency I, is a long-standing friend of yours. I will have to completely edit this out. Yeah. And make sure I, that I all only, traces of this admission are deleted from my computer. I can only say I feel very sorry. It's been wonderful the time I spent with Film 89. You let yourself down there, son. I've had a wonderful, I've had a wonderful day. It came here with nothing. <laughs> Neil, don't bother watching Solo. You're not going to be in the next episode. <laughs> so anyway, that's a film 89 verdict for Deadpool 2 of 7 out of 10. week it's the genre i think that we were most reluctant to pick our, our, our three favorite films that's impossible science fiction and we've not gone specific we haven't gone for action sci-fi we haven't gone for intelligent sci-fi we've gone for broad sci-fi so guys we'll start with our number threes and i'll go with jim number three for me i watched it again fairly recently loved it i've always had a bit of a hard on for it it's gattaca Gattaca. Uh, really, really like it. It's a beautifully shot film. It looks fantastic. The cast is stellar, absolutely stellar casting, including Gore Vidal's in it. How the hell they got him in it, God knows, but he's in it. Ernest Borgnine's in it. Ernest Borgnine. Probably the last film. It's probably his last film, I think. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. I am I think he's going to be one of the ones that's going to shock us all. Ernest Borgnine was born in January 1917. He died July 8th, 2012. He oh, died at the age of 95. So he died six years ago. I actually okay. thought he was still alive. But there you go. Absolutely fantastic film. Uh, Uma Thur- Thurman's in it. She's awesome. Uh, I think um, Jude Law has been <coughs> his best screen performances, actually. Mm. And the thing that's really good and still gets used now and again, you can hear it, is the score. The score is absolutely fantastic. Mm. So, uh, yeah, number three, got to go. I'll be honest with you. It's a film I've seen maybe once or twice. I could completely agree with you. And that's annoyed me that I haven't seen it more. I can't make more comments on it. It's a film you say you've seen it once or twice. I've seen it nuns. You've never yes. seen it. I have never seen Gattaca. Take yourself home now. Yes, I know it is. It is one of those films that on my to watch list, as in films I haven't seen. Can't comment. I'm afraid I haven't seen it. I, I think it's over the once or twice I've seen it. I would have to completely agree with you on it. Yeah, it's it's, and I, I don't know how much it cost a film. I would guess not very much, hmm. but they've made it look. Amazing, absolutely amazing. So yeah, Gaska's in at number three. Great story. Well done, Neil. Your number three. I'm going to go for a film that you and I spoke about. Must have been seven or eight years ago, and I described it to you as 
the principal ingredients every sci-fi action film should have. I'm going to go for 1990s Total Recall. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, before you start, Neil, there was a time, wasn't there? And this is going to tie into my number one. I thought there might be yes, some. Yes, it will. <laughs> because there was a time where Total Recall was a film that I liked a hell of a lot and appreciated a hell of a lot. And I was there day one. I I, I saw Total Recall. I'm ashamed to say on a pirate video before the UK theatrical release in summer of 1990. I, I saw it, you know, Probably before anyone, ashamed to say. And, and loved the film from the start. But over the years, it was just one of those films that I held in slightly lower regard to the rest of Verhoeven's work. And I was completely wrong. I think it's, it's a film that's recently, in the last couple of years, has started getting the kudos it deserves. Mm. For a long time, I think it was almost like the bastard child, the forgotten child of like both Verhoeven and Schwarzenegger. I wouldn't even go that far, but yeah, it, it was... There were films of Verhoeven's, I think, which were probably held in high regard for a while, and certainly Arnie films, which are held in high regard. I would put Total Recall without hesitation in my top five Arnold Schwarzenegger oh, films. Oh, yeah. yeah. Easily. Yeah. The more time goes on, the more I see the sort of intelligent undercurrent in that film. And as I'm sure you'll come yeah. to now, the fact that the ambiguity in the film, the perfectly precise ambiguity about whether or not that is all a dream works like nothing else i can, I can remember being about, i must have been about sort of 13 14 getting fangoria and yes. for some reason they'd done a, a spread on total recall which when you think really shouldn't fit in with but fangoria's it, but it kind yes. of does now this was back in a time when i was massively into starlog magazine and because back in the day it was our only source of of, of, of upcoming information about that's what the, the kids of today don't understand with their internet. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> with their internet. With their internet. Yeah, with a web internet and their <laughs> the Twitter. Internet. They're on the, the Twitter book. My book face. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've no idea how hard back in the day it was to get information about upcoming films. I yeah. can remember seeing it. Was a, there was a, the one shot was Sharon Stone karate kicking Schwarzenegger in the nuts and the next scene was Dean Norris's character, the mutant from Mars. You've got a lot of nerve showing your face around here. <laughs> Look who's talking. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I I was so excited to see this film and I was at an age where I couldn't see the film just yet because I believe it was an 18 or an R rated it, it was it was a hard R rated uh, it and, was an 18 in the UK Ironside's brilliant in it I was going to say Ironside loses not one it. but two arms in this yeah. film so that tells you how good this film is because Ironside loses at least one arm in every film mm. Verhoeven is the master of gore. He's the master of shoot-up gore, let's put it that yeah. way. He, he, in both he, the case of Robocop and Total Recall, he was forced to cut out a certain percentage of the, the blood splatter. Yeah. If you look at the escalator scene where Arnie... Oh. Uh, sorry, I'm going to say Arnie, I'm going to say Quaid. Yeah. Quaid uses a, just a random member of the public as a, a human shield... shield. Yeah. I think there was about 18 gunshots cut out of that. And he did the same with Robocop as well because they were going to get an X-rated in America, weren't they? Ro Robocop was submitted to the MPAA 11 times and received an X-rating. So Paul Verhoeven had to make a roughly 30 seconds to a minute worth of cuts just for violence before it obtained its R rating. Fortunately, uh, back in 1988, a year after the film's release, Criterion in America released the uncut director's cut of Robocop on Laserdisc it's now the freely available Blu-ray version that we've all now seen. Unfortunately, the original submitted uncut version of Total Recall has never been seen. But in, in both cases, much like the Ed 209 initial scene in Robocop, 
Verhoeven was actually going to the point of if I carry on shooting this guy, it'll become parody and yes, become comic right. book. Yeah. And by actually forcing him to cut it, it makes it hyper violent because yeah, it, it would have right. gone from being silly to now being violent. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Much like in the Ed 209 scene, the, 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 the less you see, the more, the more graphic, graphic it becomes in a way. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it agree. becomes more yeah. realistic, then, doesn't it? Obviously, it's based on Philip K. Dick's. Um, we can remember a few whole, wholesale. wholesale. It's a yeah. very short story. I think it's about twelve or thirteen pages. That, that really, it's yeah. a really, oh. really short story. Yeah. There were over forty script variations of this film. Yes, there was. At one stage, where David Cronenberg was attached to direct mm -hmm. it. Yeah. But when it comes to the character Aquato, is Cronenberg's creation because he's not in the short story yeah. at all. Arnold gets on board just after Dino De Laurentiis and Patrick Swayze. We're actually making this in Australia. The sets had already been made wow. for it. It goes bankrupt. Arnie wants it. And he's going on to Caracol saying, I want this. And they're saying, we can't do it. Because in the story, he's a fairly every, everyday average guy. And it's amazing how much input Arnie had into this. Because like, Patrick Swayze's not an average everyday guy. Let's be not honest. Not at the time he was. He was he's not a nerdy guy. If he doesn't have some Ed, no. Ed Norton in Fight Club or something like that, <coughs> he's, he's ripped as Dalton, let's be honest. But... He's not the giant that Arnie is. And Arnie says, yeah. well, what about if we make him a construction worker? Mm. Somebody wants something better. And he gets on board. Arnie mm. really wanted to do this. He'd lost out on Robocop. He was considered for Robocop. Yes, he was. He was, he was they too, big for, in the suit. too big for the suit. Yeah. So he'd had an initial meeting with Verhoeven. When he realised that he could get this film right, he actually picked Verhoeven and said, I'll do it. I need Verhoeven. And yeah. this is a, I think he just did Commando or Road Deal or one of the... No, no, no. Um... That would have been right. So Robocop was eighty seven, eighty eight. He did Red Heat, but he was just gaining momentum to the point was, of yeah. You know, obviously he, he had uh, Kindergarten Cop then in the pipeline, and nineteen ninety then yeah, uh, was when he, he released Total Recall. Yeah. Now what you say there about he went to Coralco. Now isn't it right that Coralco was the production company that was created uh, around about the time in order to make Total Recall? Yeah, I believe it was. Yeah, um, because Coralco was then the production company. Um, along with Lightstorm, James Cameron's company, they made Terminator to the following yeah, year. Yeah, we don't. We I would say with with Arnie, a lot of times we sort of look at Arnie as like a sort of big sort of behemoth. It's like he's so astute. Oh, you know, this guy so. knows. You know, from the point of we we can talk hours about where he went from the bodybuilding to whatever, but he knows what he needs, what he needs to do, and what people, other people need to do to sort of project. The right image for his film yeah. and the right image for him. You've got Verhoeven riding high with Robocop. Yeah. He's bringing back Ronnie Cox, basically playing the same character. <laughs> he, he is, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it worked so yeah. well as Dick Jones and Robocop. Yeah. Uh, Cohagen and Dick Jones, I just look at it as like Dick Jones, because I think it's 2084 they credit this film. It is. Yes. On the DVD cover. They yeah. never actually mentioned no, it in the film. That's right, yeah. I look at it as Dick Jones, three generations later. Through marriage, he's now called Colhagen. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly the same character. Yeah. Yeah. But Ronnie Cox is fucking awesome in this, as he is as Dick Jones. And as as Jim said, so is Mike Lionside. Yeah. yeah, again, yeah. Just yeah. You know, and like as, well as Richter. Would have yeah. been would have been less of a film without. And like I say, you could always like Mike Lionside contractually is obliged to lose an arm in one. At least one arm. He loses two in this film. Neil, can you remember? The actual origin for my... The truth is, now, I've had a bit of an awakening in the fact that I've always loved Total Recall because when you started to quote the film earlier on, I actually know word for word every line of this film. Yeah. Now, if I know a film word for word, that means that that film is ingrained in my psyche. But back when you and I first knew Literally, each other... About 10 years ago, 12 years ago? Uh, yeah, about, about 12 or so years ago when we were talking about films and you brought up Total Recall as a film that you preferred to Robocop 
Well, I didn't say I prefer the rum cock. What it I was, said was it was more of an ambitious. It was your, it was your, it was your favorite. I think it was your favorite. I love Robocop, but yes. just for some reason, some right. recall. Obviously, then me being completely unable to divorce myself from my <laughs> complete love of Robocop. There was a small fist fight. <laughs> a little bit of a scuffle. We were better friends for it. Yeah, we almost went right. on, the, on the green. Can, can you remember where my where my problem with Total Recall lay? And it is that there was a connection to Robocop. You're going to have to remind me. It's because Total Recall is the reason why Robocop 2 wasn't directed by Paul Verhoeven. Yes. The 1988 writer's strike, when Orion Pictures, who were desperate for cash, were trying to get a sequel to Robocop put together. They were trying to force the hand of Paul Verhoeven to get on board. He wouldn't get on board until a decent script was made. And anyone who knows the history of Robocop 2, if you look on film89.co.uk, there's an article I've put together about Robocop 2 and where everything went wrong. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that was the 1988 right to strike and the huge problems with the script the film had. So when Robocop 2 finally came out, which is one of the most disappointing films I've ever seen, I, would, I, I don't think I, I've ever been looking forward to a film as much as I was that film, having been just completely fallen in love with the original. When I found out the fact that Paul Verhoeven didn't return to the film because of the fact that he'd taken the Total Recall gig, that sort of... Scouted. It, it, yeah, it bitted me towards Total Recall. But let's look at that counterbalance now. and look At after 40 versions of that script, yeah. that Arnold was the man who got hold of it yeah. and specifically requested Verhoeven mm. because, A, he didn't get to play Robocop, which would have been totally fucking wrong and would have it would fucked have, up your it would have been, film Yes, time. it would have been bad. And B... <laughs> yeah has then gone in and put changes in place to make his character more viable and this film so good. I agree, and with hindsight, I can now say that I accept the fact we probably would never have got a Robocop sequel that would have been up to my expectations that I would have been happy with, yeah? I think I've always loved the film, really, and I was just a little bit embittered towards it because of the fact that I blamed it for the lack of a good Robocop sequel. I was wrong. It was actually more to do with the poor writing behind Robocop 2 from the start sullied by the 1988 right to strike. Things which I've only learned in, say, in the last I will, six or seven years. I will go as far as saying this is an overlooked classic. No, I will go as far not, as to say Total Recall is an undisputed classic. It is the last, it, it's the last film of an era of practical effects before yeah. CGI was introduced however, full on in 1991. However, can you imagine being there for the first time seeing that CGI X-ray uh, X-ray, yeah. yeah. Which, i got to be honest, at the time... Blew your mind. Blew my yeah, yeah. fucking tiny mind. And going back to the escalator scene, if you were to ask me what my favourite piece of music in the film is, it's going to be Jerry Goldsmith's score. If you look on the, the soundtrack... Yeah. Oh, the score to the, the, is tremendous. It's an incredible score. One of my all-time favourites. If you look at the soundtrack, the actual track in question is called Clever Girl. Yeah. And if you listen to that track, that has got the little bit of music which peaks to a sort of crescendo when Arnie takes the human shield on the escalator and it's almost as if Jerry Goldsmith is celebrating the violence in the (laughs) film.
it's, it's a perfect piece of music. The whole score is perfect. I love the film and the shame of the I'm completely now at ease with it. It's a fantastic choice, say, Neil. If you look at it as a sci-fi choice, to go from futuristic Earth, you've got Johnny Cabs, you've got all the sort of you know, yeah. the holograms and tennis hologram, Sharon Stone looking hot. Oh, <laughs> my, what, probably my, apart from Grace Kelly, my biggest crush of an actress, without doubt, has been Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct and Total Recall. Then from there, we go to Mars, you've got, again, practical effects, you've got Rob Bottin, who we've already talked at length about the thing, just absolutely tremendous. Yeah, yeah. his effects work is yeah, yeah, incredible. It's the last of the, the great effects films. Yeah. Some of Arnie's one-liners don't really work in a lot of films, we always sort of joke, they always become parody now. Yeah. He's actually got some quite smart one-liners in this. Yeah, yeah. When you get the, the, the taxi guy, guy on, the, on Mars, where he's like, i got five kids to feed. The first time he pays him, he gives him a $100 tip. Sends him to the dentist. Yeah. yeah. I never noticed because he got... Because Benny's got such bad bad teeth, have Yeah, you got to send him to the dentist. See, <laughs> again, yeah, it's a fantastic choice. It's a film I love as, as much as... Maybe not... Well, yeah, maybe as much as you do now. I'm just at ease with the film now. I was a fool for the longest of time. But yeah, it's a fantastic film. I love it. So that's your number three, Jim. We've had your number three. I'm not going to dwell too long on mine. Yeah. Um, we've already spoke about it. We will speak about it, no doubt, at, at some point in the future. It'll always come up because it's an enduring classic. It's one of the greatest films ever made. Uh, we all saw it again back last summer. I think all of us here. Oh yeah. Steve, uh, Steve Amos also saw it. A ten-year-old son. Your ten. <laughs> well, your that's your, like your ten son, years. yeah. <laughs> and I look forward to the day I can show show it to my boys. Um, it's Terminator Two. Yeah. Is there anything else we need to say? No. Not only is it one of the greatest science fiction films of all time, it's one of the greatest action films, it's one of the greatest sequels, without doubt. I still couldn't tell you if it's a better film than the original. I'd probably lean towards saying it is, because it's simply just more epic. I love the film unreservedly. A big shout-out to um, friends of the podcast, members of the Wrong Wheel crew, Becky, Deanna, and Adam Rakoff, who are massive Terminator fans, and, and they'll fully agree with me. They've done an episode on Wrong Wheel about the Terminator films. I, I, I urge you to seek it out and listen to it. They're as, as passionate fans of the franchise as we are. Because I think the market quality with both those films, we've had numerous discussions. Yes. And as you know, I've literally flipped and flopped between the two. If I was to watch Terminator right now, I'd tell you it's a better film. And then... And then I'll go watch Terminator yeah. 2 and I'll tell you Terminator 2 is yeah. a better film. I think the way... I think when I wrote Dubai for the for Film 89 last year, I think the way I summed it up was both films complement each other perfectly. Yeah. You, and you can't have the one without the other. No. You, you can have the first film on its own, but you're only seeing half a story. Can you imagine a perfect world where just those two films existed? We can have any... We can no, have the Rise, sequels, yeah. We can have Rise no. of Machines, we It'd be a perfect franchise. We're going to go on to my number two, which we're going to have exactly the same discussion again. Terminator 2. No. no. Alien. <laughs> alien. Oh, so, we got well, Alien? Exactly. Alien. Exactly. Oh, go on in. I'm going Alien. Alien? I'm yeah. going Alien. But... Oh. How can you have Alien without Aliens? Hmm? And again, which, Alien 3 I like as well, but the rest of them you can just... So Alien is your number Alien's two, right? Just to be clear, Alien's Alien is your two. number two. Jim, Excuse can me. I put a pin in this one? Yeah. Okay. It's 2019 next year. Yeah. It's going to be the 40th anniversary of Alien. Okay. Shall we just leave anything we've got to say about the film till then? Okay. <laughs> um, it's going to be one of my honourable mentions. What else can you say about it? You and I, Jim, have discussed Alien to death. I'm going to be the unpopular one. No. For me, I love Alien, but if I was going to pick it for today, one of my honourable mentions would have had an S on the end. <laughs> yeah, I'll just say yeah, honestly. Again, <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> right. 
for the longest time, Aliens was my favourite. I actually yeah. saw Aliens uh, before the first film, as I've covered. Uh, myself and Steve were on Wrong Real last year when we were discovering, uh, discussing Alien Covenant. Uh, yeah. I think it's episode 267. Seek it out, give it a listen. We give the full deep dive on the Alien franchise. One but, gets it for me just because, and you watch it again, and you know what's going to happen, you know where it's going. But the, the level of terror you get long before anything bad happens is it, just It's incredible. Genius. But it, for it's me, the, the, the best thing for me, like I said in the episode, is the yeah. cast. Yeah, brilliant. The cast of seven people. Brilliant. At no point do you buy them as being anything else other than what they are. workers in space who have been in each other's company for a long time. They're getting a bit ratty. peed off and ratty yeah. with, each, with each other. There's not a bad actor or actress no. amongst that brilliant. cast. What I will say with Alien, if you look at the amount of times that people have tried to replicate that I'd say the only one that's ever come close to it is Danny Boyle's Sunshine is any come, come anywhere near close to it yeah as in being yeah. trapped on a you know Event Horizon oh Event, event Horizon yes no, Event Horizon I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little caveat with that when it goes to a different sort of genre and it goes it's to it's more horror yeah it's more horror it's more demonic, demonic. it's, it's, it's like a cross about, between it's, it's, it's like about, it, Hellraiser in space yeah yeah, yeah. If you look at Alien as a sort of a set ingredient list, it is basically world weary blue collar workers oh, could yeah. be set anywhere. Yeah. yeah, infested by something. Yes, and I'd say with Event Horizon, it's a different sort of genre. It's more like you say, it's more Hellraiser. It's more crossing into hell's through Hell's Gates. Yes. you know that type of thing. So I'll, I'll give you I'll give you Event Horizon. But if you look at, I would be hard pressed to think of another example where that type of set because. Basically, Hollywood looks at a film, it's a success, and they say, how can we do that yeah, again? You get cars. Point Break, we do Fast and Furious. Instead yeah. of doing with surfboards, we're doing with cars. Yeah. Yeah. yeah? They've tried and tried, tried again and again to do it with Alien. Okay. No one's ever come close to it. Yeah. yeah. And that's why James Cameron, with the second film, took it in a different direction, more towards a gung-ho war film. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's more to his credit. That's at that's a time when... We're Cameron not talking won. about this, remember that. Yeah, we'll yeah, yes. not we'll, we'll say we'll say yeah. that. Was, I think at some point next year it'd be a good idea maybe for us to do a full deep dive on the Alien yeah. franchise. So that's your number two, Neil. What's yours? If I was talking most significant and most important sci-fi films, I'd be going episode four. If because I'm talking favorite films, I'm going episode five, Empire Strikes Back. Hmm. That's my number two as well. <laughs> really? Without a shadow of doubt. Come on. Well, I've, I've, got, I've, I've done the whole thing about, well, obviously it's Jaws, like we did in that episode. Yeah. Well, obviously it's Star Wars, but we're not going to talk about that, are we? <laughs> so, I, oh, I, oh, I, <laughs> is he on number one? No, I'm not going to say oh, okay. any more than that, but we, yeah. Okay. I almost chose New Hope just for the fact, if you look at New Hope, it's perhaps, I mean, Steve Amos has just done three tremendous articles on 1950s sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. If you look at the time when Star Wars was made, you've got George Lucas is literally going around, he's having to get Ralph McQuarrie to do concept sketches just to sell that film because no one understands. Yeah. By now, sci-fi yeah. is such a joke. Yeah. And if I was doing George Lucas and Star Wars saga a complete justice, I'd be talking about episode four. Mm. Because we're talking about favourites, I'm going to go episode five. Can we stop calling the episode four and five? Yeah, it's, 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 like, I'm trying to be nice because I've had a bit of Twitter backlash, guys. Yeah, come on. Right? Was it about the coffee already? Right, I've been a bit. They've been quick. Yeah. Like, we haven't even put this out. <laughs> I've been a bit judgmental about the last Jedi. Well, you You've been, been a bit accurate about yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. I've made my review on it. Yeah. yeah. For some reason, people say got me out. I don't know why. 
I didn't like it. Sorry, I don't like it. I love Star Wars. I love the original trilogy. Right. Yeah. I didn't go to see. Let's let's just call it Star Wars. Yes. Star Wars. Five. I, I didn't go to see Star Wars. The cinema wasn't old enough. But I, I think it must have been almost seven or eight years old when I went to see Empire Strikes Back. Yes. No, actually, I would have been. Right. I would have been, I would have been five going on six when I went to see Empire Strikes Back. Mean, right. But let's think back. I saw Star Wars in the cinema. I was born in nineteen seventy six. I saw Star Wars in the cinema. I was taken by my parents, I was extremely young, in 1979, where we were still showing, yeah. just prior to the release of Empire, because it would, VHS wasn't around back then. Yeah. And the, the, the films used to just go around cinema. Yeah, so absolutely. Like the prints that go around, it wasn't like today where it comes out, the print would come out, and it would go around all the cinemas. So for, like for, for anyone who wants to give me any shit about Star Wars The Last Jedi, the reason I've been so vitriol in my... <laughs> In my assessment of the last year is because I like Star Wars. Yes, we love it's Star Wars. It's not because I hate last Star Wars. Shit. I'm not a Star Wars hater. I love the original trilogy. I love Rogue One as well. We I, do. Don't, I, don't, we do. I don't mind The Force Awakens. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. mind it. Right, The prequels, we can all agree they were rubbish. Anyway, yeah. let's get back to the film I'm enjoying now. There was a period in time, we're going back to the 90s now, with the Matrix films, where everyone had to make a trilogy. There was a reason they had to make a trilogy, and that was because the original Star Wars trilogy was that fucking good that if you made a good film, instantly Hollywood said, rather than nowadays, they say, let's make a universe, let's make a franchise. It they said, let's make a trilogy. Yeah. The second film would always be compared to Empire Strikes Back. We, we still get this, don't we? We Ooh. still It was an expectation that The Last Jedi had to be the dark part of the saga. Instead, we had Luke Just Skywalker milking some sea of our cow creature. Lucas, whether Lucas knew it was going to be episode... I think it was the first theatrical run, it was obviously called Star Wars. I think the second theatrical run... It was the 1979 re-release, yeah. Where the episode 4 was added. Whether the other in his head that it was going to be nine episodes, I don't know, I don't care. I love this film. He had the good grace... To understand, I can't take this on board. He's given it over to Kirshner to direct. Kasdan and uh, there's a few other writers as well, as well as himself. Lawrence Kasdan mm. and Lee Brackett were right. the writers. And Lucas yeah. as well has got a credit on Bring it as well. Lee Brackett. Yep. He's got the good grace to do that. This film is, when you look at things like I Love You, I Know, oh, The Inevitable, mate. Empire Strikes Back, I'm Your Father. It's epic. Yeah. You know, it's... Can you imagine living in that day and age? Nowadays, we all have to sort of like stay off Facebook. And for me, it's the greatest Star Wars film ever made. It's my choice for number two as well. I'm not going to argue with anyone that's going to say <clears throat> that my number one choice is a better film. This is our favorite. Favorite. It's not, be- it's not best. It's <coughs> favorite. So yeah. there's been times when I've watched The Empire Strikes Back, uh, which probably any time where I've watched it, and at the end, I thought the same thing happens every time I watch Jaws. That is the greatest film I've ever seen. Yeah. That is that is there. that is the greatest film ever made. If you look at how sort of groundbreaking Star Wars is, this film then opens the whole universe massively. Half you. Oh, the <laughs> Battle of Hoth. You know, oh, even wow. down, even down to like you know the Millennium Falcon flying through the bloody alien thing. It's also the one you know the first one is the standard model now for everything you've got to do, da, 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 something blows up and then do the battle. Yeah, we Empire were. kicked it off with the battles at the start yes. and, then, yeah. and then it all goes to shit. It's not the standard formula. Why they decided to, in the current trend, to do the standard formula blows my mind, I don't know, and all the prequels were the same. Well, you say that the, the, the battle, you know, and you've got the Atats coming in and they're invincible and you got Snow Raiders coming in and defeating them. Yeah. This, like you said, that should be the last scene. That should yeah. be the da, 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 and the heroes won. The other thing as well, 
difference between old and new. Certainly in, in Star Wars and, and Empire, I can't think of anything that was shoehorned in for kids. I can't think that Nothing. there's anything there for kids. Certainly in the first one, it's nasty. Not, it's not nasty. in the Empire Strikes Back. And I can't think of anything in the Empire Strikes Back <coughs> that was there for the kids. But now, right. they seem to be well, putting stuff in that's just like, oh yeah, we're doing this story, but we'll just shoe in a little bit of stupidity for children. If you look at the... And convers- the kids don't buy it. If you look at the conversation we had about the Avengers Infinity, and we were both saying, we're both taking our children to see that, there's a few scenes in that, mm, I don't know. Yeah. You look at the end of Empire, I think I was like five or six years old, mm. not only is your hero getting his hand lobbed off, he's mm. also being told, yeah, I'm your father. Yeah. You know, I'm the one person you should trust, but you can't trust. Mm. I, I want to address a lot of the, the, the criticism people are levelling towards people who are being critical of The Last Jedi. People are saying, you're overthinking it, you're being too nitpicky. At the end of the day, this is light popcorn entertainment. Right? Let's have a look back at the Empire Strikes Back. Let's just pick one little segment that shows that it clearly isn't. You've got the scene on Bespin where Darth Vader is torturing Han Solo for no reason whatsoever. Mm-hmm. For the longest time, I actually thought, well, yeah, it, it's Darth Vader. That's he's, what he's, 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 That's what he would do. Yeah. No, by this point, the actual detail of, of the Jedi, the Sith, and the Force, and how it works, Darth Vader knows. He wants Luke Skywalker. How is he going to get him? He's going to torture Han Solo, knowing that Luke will feel his friend's pain and come to him. Any information he wanted, he could literally put his his hand on his head. Effectively, yeah. Yeah. No, he didn't want information. He wanted to get Luke there. I saw Empire when I was very young. It wasn't until I was a teenager I watched it again and actually realised this was what was going on. And the fact that it's got this much depth to it. And a lot more besides. This is not throwaway popcorn entertainment far from it and anyone who says so and anyone who says that we're harking back the feelings of nostalgia I'm sorry but you're wrong you, you could talk endlessly about the, the subtext and the, 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 the intelligent writing behind this film don't tell me that that same level of writing exists in The Last Jedi I, it, it, it doesn't, doesn't. Like, it, I, like I previously alluded to which is harking fi- back to quality any film that gets a sequel will be sold on the strength of this is you know so and so's version of Empire it's yeah. always referenced, yeah. and it's referenced for a reason. Because it's quality. Because it is, A, it's quality, and B, it totally turns on its head the sort of optimistic, happy end, Flash Gordon-style ending yeah. you get in New Hope. Yeah. And, you know, you've got the big revelation. Can you imagine? Uh, you know, The Simpsons parodied it perfectly yeah. in, in, in the scene where Homer, back in 1980, is walking out of the film. People are queuing to go in and watch it again, or, or to watch it for the first time, and he says... I couldn't believe that Darth Vader's Luke Skywalker's father. Can you imagine being there back in the day in 1980 and seeing that unfold on screen, having been a big fan of well, the I, first film? I actually, I think, did. I actually think I would have seen it on the second run. I think I would have been about seven, right? I don't think I would have been five or six. I think no, I would have been about seven, yeah. right? But it, it, could, it could have been as late as 1982. Now, I never had a playground conversation where anyone told me Darth Vader's Luke Skywalker. Nope. My son literally had three days between the podcast and Infinity War. Yeah. I was literally walking around high school with his hands on his ears going la yeah. la 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 yeah. because people were talking about Thanos uh, and who he killed. Yeah. And that's because of this sort of, like I say, the internet generation we've got mm. now where everyone needs to know spoilers. Everyone, back in the day, in our day, yeah. it was almost like you saw the film, you didn't yeah. spoil it for anyone else. No, now it's, you know, you can, you can open up Facebook and literally realise the, yeah. the plot of Empire Strikes Back yeah. within 24 hours of a premiere, can you? Yeah, Absolutely. So there you go. That's uh, your number two and mine. I, I'm not. I, I got nothing more to add. Um, we will. We, can we, talk, we, we will could, always we revert do, back to talk we could do about a whole Star Wars. Episode. We could. We could. And 
in two years' time, it'll be coming up to its 40th anniversary. Wow, that's frightening. So, Jim, your number one. Well, what a nightmare. I, I mean, obviously, it's Star Wars. Oh, yes, of course it but, is. But, I know what it's going to be. But uh, obviously, it's Blade Runner. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, there you go. That's, it's Blade Runner again. I think I, um, I I've just been to see it at Secret Cinema, which was amazing. If you get a chance to go to that, it's, it's a, if you love Blade Runner, I yeah. do go to that. But I'm not going to say any more about it because it's epic. If you haven't seen it, you're a dick. <laughs> Which so is a new teacher yeah. coming for filmmaking. Like, go, you go for your number. Neil, any, have you got anything to add about Jim's pick of Blade Runner? Um, yes. It's a film that for the longest time I appreciated, but I didn't love. Mm -hmm. I would say the last two or three years, I've come round. Yeah, good man. Yeah. It's, a, right fucking, so it's well. a fucking masterpiece. And mm. I will say, as we're going to talk about sequels, 2049 almost enhanced how good that film was for me. The original is just so ahead of its time. Massively. Massively ahead of its time. I'm not going to say anything about Blade Runner. I'm going to refer you to Wrong Real episode 248, which I did with James Hancock last year, where it, it, was, about, it, was, it was about four or five months before Blade Runner 2049 came out. Me and James decided to do an episode dedicated to the original 92 film. I'm not going to condense all of that now into a few lines. Please go and listen to that. Mm. Neil, you're number one. Number one. Number one. I ask with trepidation. I'm almost nervous. <laughs> it's got to be a film that's possibly better than The Empire Strikes Back. What is that? Right, if we're going to talk about a film that's possibly better than The Empire Strikes Back... I can't handle the preamble. There's no one. Okay, but we're talking favourite films. Go we're on. We're talking best films. No, Rocky, it's not sci-fi. I'm going to take you back to 1987, and I'm going to bookend my oh, top three. Oh, you didn't. I started with Arnie. I'm going to end with Arnie. He's Go picked on. the other than the film from 1987. Go on. Predator. Another fucking Predator. Yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yes. Right, we've got the dream team here. we got <laughs> we got Al Schwarzenegger and the director of probably my favourite film, but best action movie of all time, Die Hard, yeah. John McTiernan. Yeah. <laughs> what can you say? There's nothing, there's nothing that has to be said about Predator. Well, someone, we were saying that he was copying a little flack on the internet the other day for Predator. Yeah, I... Well, uh, that, no, that was more commando, but it was. Oh no, Steve was saying that someone yes. was sliding off Predator, wasn't they? I said, That's just insanity. Right. So, someone on a Facebook group, I think they called the, the Mark Commode Appreciation uh, Society, were basically saying that the original Predator is not a great film. Well, uh, I'm going to go as far as saying I appreciate Mark Commode. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> But Mark I don't want to be part of that society if that's no, what I'm talking me about. Neither. Fantastic film. Basically, <coughs> this should be the A Team meets an alien. It's not, is it? No. It is tremendous. This film, simply put, is a masterpiece. Yeah. For me, it's Arnie's finest performance. It is. It, it, without doubt, it's Arnie's finest performance because he shows, for the first time, genuine fear and vulnerability. Yeah, and I say, I know he had... But, but he also shows genuine care for the men under his charge. Yes. And he's, he's a leader of men, but he's also a man, not a superhuman. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he comes into the film almost as a superhero. This cigar chomping, laid back, yeah. I can roll in anywhere, and I can take out, I can take out anything yeah. type, almost like Invincible. We'd all seen it before with like Matrix, yeah, and, yeah, Matrix yeah. and like you say, within a very short space of time. Well, you've got like just the most alpha male set of men. Fantastic ever. casting again. If you Fantastic look at, if you look at a film like The Expendables, I'm sorry to bring it up. <laughs> sorry, we're all spinning. I don't know. <laughs> you cast names, you didn't cast characters. Yes. Yeah. These were not big names as such. People like Bill Duke 
Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. People like Carl Weathers, the legend that I've met. Yeah. <laughs> Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura. You got Ventura, who was a former Navy SEAL anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got Richard Chavez's Poncho, who was a Vietnam veteran. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. This this film literally it starts off just generic. This is an army film. The opening scene is an homage to the thing. Let's be completely. Oh honest. yeah, the, the op- again, right? If you if, if we ever do t- favorite t- opening title sequences, I, I shouldn't be jumping that. No, do it. We're, we're gonna. If you ask me what my favorite opening title to a film is, it's Predator, and the reason being, there's no big flash uh, font like. No. I, yeah. I love the opening to Robocop, but it's got that Robocop font. Any other number of films where, like like Star Wars, it, it's bold, it's brash, it's in yeah. your face. Predator, all you've got is the blackness of space with some faint stars in the background yeah. and Predator in a pretty basic white font yeah. with Alan Silvestri's incredible music. Oh, this. It is, but it's understated. The, and the, the soundtrack to this, like you said, the Scotus, the jungle drums are beat every time. Yeah, Pending Fear, yeah, yeah. fear is coming. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. It just builds up to sink. It's just tremendous. Uh, Alan Silvestri is one of my favourite composers. He, he did the scores, obviously, for the Back to the Future films. You've got Sonny Landon. Brilliant. Oh, oh, my God. They, they had to hire security on set to protect other people from Sonny Landon. This is the great thing about this film. If you ever watch, there's a, there's a documentary. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's called, there's a documentary called If It Bleeds, if it bleeds we, can we Can Kill It. it. Uh, They're making a predator. It's incredible. And the interviews, some of the, the interviews are sort of like on set and some of them are retrospective. Yes, I think about five after. or six years after. They're not, not, not massively after. No, like no, no. 1992, 1993, Shane Black and Carl Weathers. Yeah. And like Carl Weathers is talking about, he says like, um, you know, he'd work with Stallone, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And he said like, you, you've not you've not been in a testosterone world unless you've been there with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger was getting up at four o'clock every well, morning. At, 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 at first, was, it was six, then it was five, then it was four. Yeah, I was trying to outdo each other. Yeah, trying to each other. He's getting to the gym before him to yeah. get his pump on, yeah. and then he's telling the rest of them he hasn't trained that day. To yeah. the point, Jesse Ventura's arms, yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger noted how big Jesse Ventura's arms were. Yeah. And then went to the wardrobe department and amended the size of his arms for the costume fitting and then bet Jesse Ventura after a, a, a push-up contest yeah. that he had bigger arms than him. A bottle of, I think it was Dom Pignon champagne. Yeah. Ventura took it because he'd seen the, the, the stats on the wall yeah. and then found out that his arms were three inches smaller than Arnold Schwarzenegger's. And I believe Arnie's words were, don't fuck with Mr. Olympia. The flip side to that is, they're not acting like the Expendables in this no, film. No, no, no. I mean, that grape scene when he, he just comes over, he's like, Billy, what's going on? And he's like, there's something out there. Uh, there's something, there. something out there waiting for us, Major, and there ain't no man. Yeah. We're all going to die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, no, actually, I think the scene you're referring to is when he first is looking yeah. into the trees and he says, yeah, oh, it's, it's nothing, Major. Yeah. And I think that's what works so well with this film. And we've had, well, we all had this conversation, other than Predator 2, which I know Matt and Kessler's a great piece on yes he always fights a corner for it and it, it's a, it was a decent enough and Arlo was defend Predator too because it's the closest thing to Predator yeah yeah. it's, no, the, closest, no, it's the closest Predator film in terms of quality even though there's still and this is what fills me with trepidation about Shane the Black predator. I know Shane Black was actually in this film yeah, I know. Yeah. it's not about the alien I've ran yeah. this home to you loads of times. No. I'm sorry if I'm yeah. boring you, but it's not about the alien. It's about the group of men. You've yeah. got these group of soldiers who yeah. are like invincible. Although he says, we're a rescue team, not assassins. Yeah. <laughs> but they are great assassins at they the same are, time. They, they are literally, they're so in tune with each other. Yeah. Tooled up to the max as well. Look at, at the one mm. downside I used to have to this film was the bit where they go to the little compound 
And I used to always say to you, it looks like the A-Team, and then you told me... It was actually the stunt coordinator was the same guy that did the action in the 80s. Oh, so that's all what, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. why it all looks so similar. Yeah. But now, as I've got a little bit older and a little bit wiser, that actually works for me. Because if you'd watched that film for the first time, I mean, I watched it knowing the Predator was in it. But let's just say for, for arguments that you watched that film thinking it was a standard, generic action film, mm. you would have expected to see that. And when they go in there, it's it's almost sort of great that they look cartoonish and it looks like the 18 because no one re- none of the good guys get killed. Yeah. Neil, do you want me to blow your tiny little mind? Do it. The stunt coordinator I mentioned. Yeah. His name is Craig R. Baxley. He's the guy that did the stunts in the A-Team, and he did, in particular, that action scene in Predator. He was also a director. I'm going to list off oh my God. a few of the films that he oh has directed. God. You must prepare yourself. First off, 1988, Action Jackson. <gasps> oh, God. <laughs> I'm doing an episode of this, I'm telling you. I'll follow up. 1990, Dolph Lundgren, Dark Angel. Fuck a doodle do. And once more, if you remember this action classic from 1991, Stone Cold with Brian, <gasps> Brian Bosworth. Bosworth. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that movie. You need to see it. Uh, much like Action Jacks. L- Lance, Lance Henriksen, William Forsyth. Uh, it, it's a cop that goes undercover into a Mississippi biker gang. You need to see it. It's okay. fantastic. It's a cop that's played by a former NFL star. Yes, it was, yeah. <laughs> So but yeah, going back to Predator, like I say, you know, you got Stan Winston creating the Predator in a rush job. Yeah. Because the original Predator looked completely different. And was played, and was played by, by Van Damme. Jean Claude Van Damme. Who lasted two days and was not impressed that his face wasn't going to be shown because he thought it was going to be an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. He couldn't do his roundhouse kick. So Stan Winston having to redesign the Predator. He's a fantastic job. He's sat on a plane. He just happens to be sat next to James Cameron. Who would you <laughs> rather be sat next to when you're going to create the Predator? Who says, let's give it some mandibles. Mandibles, great word. <laughs> and perhaps one of the best sort of creature creations of all time, I'd say for me. Superb. Yeah, yeah it is. I fully agree. He did an incredible job on the creature. and It was just the, the whole thing of... The creature had its own culture, didn't it? Sort yeah. of the fact that it's like this hunter. Tribal. Yeah, it, it comes down for trophies, it mutilates its victims in horrendous ways when you see those skinned soldiers and it skins them. Yeah, it, yeah. but you know, he, he does he rips his spines out, he you know, it, it's horrific. And how often have we talked specifically me and you now, about a prequel to it with Hopper? Exactly. This is where they've gone now with the Predator. What they could have done is make the prequel. You've got Jim Harper's men yeah. going into the jungle under Dylan's orders. There's a film there waiting to be made. Why the hell has nobody realised that that is something that could be done? Do Everyone that. said, the original Predator, you're never going to beat those men facing that creature in the jungle. Well, let's give it one more go. The first guys that actually faced them. It'd be and let's remember, the Dutch's crew were second choice. That's right. So imagine, hoppers, imagine. hoppers would have been more bad. There you go. There you go. <laughs> they were the they were the ones sent in yeah. because the A team, yeah. so to speak, got got out of their ass. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I just like I say, Hollywood. I, if you're listening now, I'm going to put that. There's a trademark on that idea. We came up with a few years back. I'm, I'm sorry, but is this that, is where a, a predator, a further from the predator franchise, should be going. Yeah. It, to me, like I say, that you, uh, how excited were you at the end of Predator 2 that you saw the alien skull there and you were like, oh, you're going to get Alien v Predator. Yeah. yeah. And I said, that's the point where I realised then it's not about the monster. It's, it's not about the monster. monster. That's, that's right. the story involved. So, Neil, that's your number one. And I'm, I'm sorry to do this, everyone, but. Uh, Let me guess. 
Let me let me just. Does it begin with an R? It does. <laughs> yes, we we've spoken about it at length. We're going to talk about. it. No doubt it's going to come up in the future. It's all right. Yeah. Should you buy yeah. it for a dollar? Yeah, <laughs> you can buy it for a dollar somewhere. Yeah. It's Robocop. Obviously. It won't be of any surprise to anyone that knows me who's, who's followed the site. Again, I'll refer you on to a Wrong Wheel episode. Recorded back last uh, July. Uh, Wrong Wheel 296. Myself and James Hancock discussing... It's also one of his favourite films, Robocop. And we also discussed the rest of the franchise. I don't say enough about this film because usually you say more than I need I'm to. I'm always banging a drum. No, you're not banging a drum. You come up with very valid points. Well, if Predator's a masterpiece, this is a work of art. It I is, would, yeah. I would easily put this film at number one mm. sci-fi choice if I didn't already know that you would have. Yeah, yeah. So there you go, guys. That's our top three science fiction films. Uh, but we haven't done honourable mentions. Oh, oh, nice. oh, there's so many. It's ridiculous. Well, when I was, I was thinking... Do you want me to help you, Jim? I was thinking, <sighs> Jurassic Park. Yeah. Go sci-fi. <laughs> That's in my list. Uh, uh, thing. The Thing, obviously... Referring back to episode three of this uh, fine podcast, I will give you a franchise that started in the sixties and is still ongoing now. Planet of the Apes. Star Trek. Star Trek. Star Trek. Ratha Khan. Star Trek. Ratha Khan. What a film! Now, I'm quite shocked that between the three of us, none of us picked Ratha Khan. I know, but again, something I need to make clear: most of my honourable mentions could have easily. Being yeah. in my top three. I'll give you exactly the same. If, if I'm going to say that my first honourable mention, The Thing, is an inferior film to Robocop or The Empire Strikes Back or T2, then I'd be lying. It's know. not. Smack you in your dirty It's mouth. not. It's not <laughs> inferior. Neither the, the, the rest of the films in the list, Predator, The Terminator, Alien, Aliens, Stanley Kubrick's 2001, Planet of the Apes, the original 1977 Star Wars. Then I've got Return of the Jedi, which I'm a strong defender of. Don't call me a Star Wars hater after my comments and an article yeah. on, on The Last Jedi. I love the series. I love Return of the Jedi. If we're talking a thing, we could also go spin-off and go They Live. They Live. Or any of them. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. Live. Yeah. Fantastic John Carpenter film. Hitchhiker's um, Guide to the Galaxy radio show. Can I love that in? No, because we're no, talking about films, films, not yeah. radio <laughs> shows. <laughs> you <good>. penis. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, let's, let's put radio Let's put the art in. Can I become a TV show? Can I put Doctor Who And then a film. Can I put Doctor Who Actually, Doctor Who had two movies, so I could put Doctor Who in. Yeah. Guidance of the Galaxy. Yeah, science fiction, you could argue. Certainly. Axe Machima. Yeah, that's on my list. Yeah. Matrix. The Matrix is not on my list. Matrix. No issues. Sunshine. Yeah. That was loads. Yeah. And one that I absolutely hated when I first saw it. It's now one of my f- almost made my top three. Fifth Element. Fifth Element's brilliant. Yeah. Dark Star. No. No? Not in the slightest. No. No, no, no. We're going to go off the obvious. I can't believe no one picked it. I'm going to talk about a film that me and you both love Cloverfield. Star- no. <laughs> Cloverfield. Star Trek Generations. It, yeah, again. <laughs> if you hadn't cut me off after Jedi. I've got the Back to the Future trilogy, all three. Love them. No, Richie does as well. Blade Runner, Close Encounters. Come Brilliant. on, Jim. Brilliant. I'm going to do my contractually obliged. Rocky. I don't like Tom Cruise, but then I find myself loving Tom Cruise and hit you with this tri- this trilogy. Go on. Minority Report. Yeah. Oblivion. Yeah. Edge of Tomorrow. Did you know Minority Report was supposed to be the sequel, the sequel to Total Recall? Recall. Yes, I did. Yes, yeah. I did. It yeah. was going to be Quaid. Using the mutants from Mars as precogs to fight crime. Wow. Yeah, another one. People don't think of it as science fiction. If it wasn't animated, you'd be like, "Yeah, it's sci-fi all day." Wally. Yeah, Wally. my favorite Pixar film. Yeah, District Nine. 
Does it know him? And then I've got Star Trek Through the Wrath of Khan, Star Trek Generations. While we're on the stars, I'm really surprised that you haven't mentioned Starship Troopers. You haven't let me finish. You haven't let me finish. Black hole. Black hole, no. And then I've got The Abyss. Yeah. E.T. Cloverfield, as I said. Total Recall. Super 8. Nope. I like Super 8. It's not on my list. (laughs) Jurassic Park. Starship Troopers. The original 1953 War of the Worlds, which is my favourite science fiction film from that era. Very good. Westworld, 1973. Forbidden Planet, which is another of my favourite 50 sci-fi films. Big shout out to Steve there. Have a look at his his 1950s rundown. Uh, Three articles he's done lately for the site. Fantastic. I've then got one of the parts of your Tom Cruise sci-fi trilogy, Minority Report, Ex Machina, and another animated film. Akira. That's I'm, fairly I'm, comprehensive. I'm going to shoot down all the good work I've done so far tonight. Mm-hmm. And probably alienate myself from everyone by Chris Stegman. And say oh, so, don't. And say no, signs. signs. Oh, I signs. still Fuck like you signs. and your signs. Oh, I still like signs. Absolute garbage. Oh, it's it's garbage. Listen, let me tell you something about signs, right? Signs is independence day done for grown-ups. <laughs> right, let me just create a little fictional conversation between Jim oh. and I. Jim and I are aliens on a dying planet. Jim, have you had any joy finding a planet to go to? No. What are we going to do, Jim? We're aliens and, you know, we're, we're pretty much, we're not that robust and we're especially That's allergic to salt so, water yeah, or we'll, water of any kind. Jim, go find us a planet. I've got that one. It's got loads of salt water. But we... Can I... But we, can it'll I just, kill us. No, I'll just go anyway. Can I just interject? There's a throwaway line in that where their planet is dying, they've got limited resources, and they go to the nearest planet they can reach. Oh, <laughs> it, no. I'm and, sorry. It's... And I will be honest, it's Mel Gibson's last good role. So that's all. That's my honourable mentions. Neil, have we got any more? Oh, because God, we have got loads from social media right we'll keep it in house for the moment Steve Amos uh, also a film, film 89 as you'll know number three the 1956 invasion of the body snatchers very good I prefer the 78 version but there you go obviously you would pick King Kong from 1933 which he is, is right IMDB lists it as sci-fi adventure and horror I it's a film it's about like... a giant ape it technically yeah, is science give, fiction yeah, give it science fiction right. and number one Star Wars. Who can fault that? Yeah. Hayden. Hayden Sproul. Also a film 89. Number three, Arrival, which he has since swapped out with Blade Runner 2049. He's very young. He's, 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 he's much younger than us. Yeah. Um, number if, two. If he'd gone 2049, we've had no cams. Arrival, I was a bit yeah. let down but by. But he swapped out. But I'll, I'll, you know. Number two, Gattaca. Good man. Yeah. Number one, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Nothing wrong with okay. that. His honourable mentions were the original Planet of the Apes, Donnie Darko. My man. Mm. Interstellar. Really? Really Interstellar? Yeah. yeah. I'd say big... Contact over Interstellar. Interstellar yeah. looks great. It, Hayden give... also loves Contact, so I'll let him off there. I'll give, I'll give Hayden the benefit of the doubt that Interstellar looks great. Yeah, but it's shit. It lo- no, but it looks great. It looks, you know, it looks fantastic. Mm, okay. It does, undoubtedly. I'm trying to be nice. Right? I know. Inception, Gravity. Gravity, yeah. Oh, I like yeah. Gravity. And then Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049, which he latest messaged me and said, look, can I swap up my number three for Blade Runner 2049? Yes, you can. And our, our own Richie Roberts, number three. Is alien. he at the Royal Wedding today, Richie? Is he was at the Royal be, Wedding, yeah. but we're not gonna, let's not talk too much about that because he's obviously going to... He's going to be writing about for the Times on oh, Monday. I don't want to... Yeah, Or tomorrow, actually. Yeah. Number three, Alien. Number two, Terminator 2. And number one, no surprise to anyone who knows Richie, Back to the Future, both his favourite sci-fi comedy and possibly his favourite film of all time okay and massive friend of the podcast and a hugely uh, important member of the Wrong Real crew Mr. Jacob Rivera you'll find him on Twitter at jratm23 
His choices were number three, 2001. Number two, Terminator 2. Number one, The Empire Strikes Back. As a man of distinction and taste, his honourable mentions are The Matrix, Inception, The Thing, Alien, Aliens, Star Wars, Back to the Future, Total Recall, The Terminator, Robocop and Predator. A man I've always chiseled from the, the same <laughs> stone as we are. I've always liked Jacob, but i got to be honest, my esteem has just got even higher, if that was possible. Okay, Hugh Lloyd was on Twitter at the Undead Wookiee Podcast. He says, Blade Runner... Akira, The Empire Strikes Back. Fine choice. Fine choice. His partner in crime on the same podcast, Mr. Leighton Winston, who has today submitted his first article via Film 89, which is a piece on LA Confidential. Can I just point out that I credited... You did, yes. And I'm sorry, I have apologies. Neil, Neil has on Twitter, he's credited Who Lied for the piece when it was actually Leighton Winston. Leighton's sorry, choices Leighton. are... Sorry, Leighton. I'm going to quote him verbatim. I'd have to say Empire Strikes Back. Also, John Carpenter's The Thing. And, dot, 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 fuck, this is hard. Aliens, question mark, The Matrix, Robocop, Star Wars, Blade Runner 2049, Predator, Guardians of the Galaxy, Inception, T2, Back to the Future, all with question marks. Because yeah. much like us, Leighton yeah, is, is a very difficult choice. Matthias van der Roost, who's another member of the Wrong Real Crew, at Matar says, in alphabetical order, which is always convenient, Wow. <laughs> Blade Runner, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, he's not been specific as to which one. Say 70s. Metropolis. 70s once again. The first mention of Metropolis. Yeah. Uh, I said Metropolis. And he yeah. says, honourable mentions for Back to the Future and Ghost in the Shell. Again, he's not being specific. I'm assuming he means the 1995 version. Yeah, I know he did. And he says, I also have a soft spot for 1950 sci-fi movies like Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. David Caffrey at 123 underscore DJC. Children of Men. Oh, yeah, we left, left, that, we've off. all left that off our list. Yeah. I think uh, we've all talked about that. Ex yeah. Machina. Close Encounters, another film that we could have put on our list. That, Alien, yeah. Galaxy Quest. <gasps> yeah, 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 give him that. Julian Lawrence, who is at Jules underscore Alex underscore L. Oh, make it easy, please. Blade Runner, Silent Running, Moon. And then he's asked, he says, would Flash Gordon and Mad Max Fury Road count? I'd well, say, well, yeah. Yeah. I would say definitely yes. And Again, I'm a little bit ashamed that at least one of those yeah. wasn't on my honourable mentions. Yeah, I rewatched that recently. Okay, EF Bartlam at E underscore F underscore Bartlam. Setting aside 2001 the Star Wars, which I think are going to make a lot of people's lists, he mm. has picked Planet of the Vampires, the Mario Barber film. Oof, that okay. is real obscure. That's going out there. The Black Hole. Lovely Black Hole, good man. And uh, David Lynch's Dune. Oh, I love David Lynch's Dune. Yeah, I'm on my paper with that. Whew. So, yeah, there you go. Loads of uh, feedback there. I couldn't pick all of them, I'm afraid, because I knew we'd be pushed for time on this. Right, anything else? Any other business? We'll do listener questions. Go on. Do it. Okay. First up, David Knight on Facebook asks, We're living in an age of comic book adaptations. What are your personal favourite comic book characters who have yet to receive their own film adaptation? Jim? Bizarrely, I was I've been holding out for years for a, a character called Accident Man, um, who is British. He's kind of like cut price James Bond from a council estate. Uh, it should have been made by Ardman Productions. It should have been that kind of film, but it's just apparently my brother was saying there's one being released. It's just come out live action. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm hoping it's going to be as good as I thought. That sounds very similar to Kingsman. Yeah, it's. It's a lot lines. more violent, a lot more adult. Yeah. Uh, that's why I'd love Ardman to have done it because they could have done a really adult Ardman claymation mm. thing. 
There's one I read in my early 20s. If I've got the title wrong, I I apologise. I believe it's called Resurrection Man. It was a very obscure uh, comic book series. It was basically along the lines that every time this superhero died, he got new powers. And at one stage, he got bitten by a vampire or a werewolf and became a werewolf. I can't remember a lot about it. I can just remember it was fucking awesome. What I would say is, um, we're living in an age now. I took my son to Comic Con last week, and he was amazing me with his wealth of knowledge that he had for things. And he was talking to one of the storeholders, and it suddenly occurred to me that at his age, eleven or twelve, if I could have had one good superhero movie, it would have been fucking amazing. And we now live in an age where we're pretty much We've getting it. I'd say at least a 75% success ratio of having good comic book movies now. So I think there's a lot of scope for further movies, but the movies that are being made here, specifically by Marvel, yeah. are knocking out the park. Okay, mine is one I told Neil about. <clears throat> we, we've discussed this at length about me telling you about this character. I don't think you've ever read any of, of the books of him in it. But it's a Marvel character created back in 2000 called The Sentry. Basically, on the surface, he looks to be... Marvel's version of Superman. He's blonde, long hair, with a yellow cape and a yellow and blue suit that looks like just a colour altered version yeah, of Superman. Knock off Superman. Right? Yeah. His powers are pretty much limitless. Far more so than Superman. It was created by writer Paul Jenkins and artist Jay Lee and developed by Rick Veitch, who sort of took the basic character and embellished him quite a bit. Veitch suggested that the character could be woven into the history of the Marvel Universe. So back in 2000, he said that there were versions of the character from the 1940s depicted in artistic styles matching the comics of the period. And Veitch also suggested that due to some cataclysmic event, all recollection of the century would have been removed from everyone's memory, including his own. Jenkins and Veitch decided that they would create not only a fictional history for the character of the century within the Marvel Universe, but also a fictional publication history in our world, the real world, wow. complete with imaginary creators who are called Wan Pinkles and Chick Rivet, who are anagrams of Paul Jenkins and Rick Veitch. What they actually did back in 2000... That's like they, eighth they, Yes, <laughs> it is. They, they basically published a load of dummy articles Same. to coincide with the release of the... Basically, the, this character called Robert Reynolds. He, through some scientific accident, is basically given this limitless power uh. um, by some something that alters his... It, basically, every molecule in his body is, is time-shifted and sort of... You can, you can do anything. Right. There are certain Marvel comics throughout the years for whatever reasons, like, say for example, I'm making this up, it could be something like Fantastic 413, never got published for whatever reason. For whatever reason. What Marvel said was that all of these missing comics throughout the years are, are issues where the Sentry appeared. appeared. Oh, wow. That's right? I like that. Yeah, so sure. as I'm reading this little companion piece in the back of the, the first Sentry book I ever read, I'm thinking, who's to say this isn't actually true? <laughs> yeah. 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 Basically... At, at some point in history, the Sentry has become so powerful. He is he is this, this godlike character. But the flip side is, his nemesis, the Void, this all-consuming dark character, it turns out is actually the other half of his psyche. He is so powerful, and the way the universe balances itself, he's a powerful force of good that is just excessively powerful. So he has created within himself a force of evil to the balance things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Characters like Doctor Strange and Reed Richards realise that he is a threat to the universe. Yeah. So... With the powers of Professor X and others, they actually get Sentry to erase himself from the memories of every person on Earth. He reverts back to regular Bob Reynolds, who lives his everyday life with his wife, Lindy, uh. until later on in 2000, 
he starts to recall his past life. It's an incredible story. You need to seek it out. Sentry has become a recurring character within the MC, uh, sorry, within Marvel Comics, but nothing is better than that original 2000 run of books. It's just remarkable. It blew my mind. Do you would think that, would that shot popping up in the Infinity War? Would that no, work, I was don't say, think would they that would. work as a film, though? Because you know, it, it would break the fourth wall, yeah. so it would, it would probably... But they're going to be going into... All yeah. the realities and stuff like that soon we imagine in the MCU so who knows who knows yeah. anyway next question Laura McCormick on Facebook asks what are your favourite and least favourite movie genres oh god I hate horror films I do really? I hate them I hate going in there and just shit in my pants I hate them I hate, I... so they work on you, you just oh yeah like yeah them. yeah I just dislike it I just dislike being scared shitless least favourite for me it's an easy target musicals same year. I've I've got least favorite musicals and period dramas. And when I say period dramas, I mean in particular stuff like Merchant Ivory. Oh yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Body ripping. Yeah, they do of, absolutely yeah. nothing for me. Although I will say Mr. two Darcy. musicals recently that I do like a hell of a lot: The Greatest Showman. Because my, my wife and children have made me watch it countless times now. Yeah. I really do like it. I yeah. saw it in the cinema back on I think Boxing yeah, Day raving, yeah another one I, I just love La La Land, La La Land yeah. I absolutely love the films and I'm not going to apologise for <laughs> this is someone who hates musicals I hate them oh, I don't mind a musical yeah I, with, with something like La La Land it's, uh, I'm not going to say I, I love La La Land but favourite ones I've just gone for it'll be no surprise science fiction is probably my favourite genre uh, favourite I'd probably go no 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 I'd probably go action Probably action, yeah. but it has to be good action. It can't be straight to DVD action. No, if you've got something, but well, well, so we just talked about Predator. Then, if you can put it, if you can put action in context and it can be viable, yes. Yeah, I've also gone for. I'm a big fan of historical epics, films like Ben Hur, Lawrence of Arabia, Spartacus, yeah, Gladiator, yeah, Troy, Troy. Troy. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. big fans of yeah. Troy. But swords and sandals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've gone for crime dramas or film, films like Serpico. The yeah. Godfather, The French Connection, Heat. Heat. Oh, it, it's an endless yeah. gangster. Yeah. I think with, with most of these genres, like I, I, think, I was going to say, if we can mention <laughs> just, just, like just like films. That's, that's going to be the second t shirt. Second yeah. t shirt. We just, just like film. Films. You know, I, I think with all these genres we're mentioning, it has to be. I, I it's very hard to say, like I'm saying action or I'm saying crime. They all jump about me. It has to be well done, no matter what the genre is. Yeah. Let's put it that way. And another one, westerns. We like westerns. We like westerns. Now, like again, now again, if you look at westerns, I'm not a massive fan of westerns. But if you said Tombstone to me, if yeah. you said Unforgiven to me, yeah, you know, Three Tenth of Yuma, yeah, Searchers, yeah, you know, yeah. Searchers, so Dances with Wolves. Oh, well, I think see. Dances with Wolves is not. It's, it's a western. Of, it's more it's a of a western. It's a western. It's a, western. It's a, it's a frontier film. It's not a western. That's a genre of the western. But again, as long as it's well done, no matter what genre it is. I don't particularly. Love it. I don't particularly like horror films. I know you recently went to see a Quiet Place, and you were oh, saying, "Oh, good, that was." Like so, so you know, do I like that. that? Yeah, no, I know. So I don't, come on, yeah, yeah. I like them. I don't particularly like horror films either, but I would say that the first that Ring was a very good one. I wouldn't see a slasher film. The, the original Ring I slasher films I dislike. I I'll, I'll say I don't like modern horror films, and a film like A Quiet Place or It Follows mm. will come yeah. out. And I'll, I'll be proven. So it, as long as it's proven wrong, I would say whatever genre, as long as it's done well, as long as it's good. Okay, final question. Dylan Wells via email asks. In episode two, Neil mentioned having met Carl Weathers. Oh. What other actors, actresses, or celebrities of worth have you met? Jim? All of them. But I'll narrow it down to the, my favourite meet. Hang on, explain a bit more, though. You can't say all of them. Oh, no. Explain oh. how you met them. Oh, all right. I used to do, <laughs> when I'm in a 
life was that many, you had on your boat many <laughs> many years ago I used to manage uh, a cinema in central London that used to do all the premieres for films so I used to meet lots and lots of celebrities my favourite meet and I'm so glad I did meet him was Sir Alec Guinness uh, oh I'll wow take that, take that all wow the most fun I had was with the Pythons yeah yeah they were a really good laugh but Sir Alec Guinness was, was when he walked in he's a really big lad he's my height wow and um, it was about two years before he actually died and it was great incredible I well after after Apollo Creed, yeah. I mean, really speaking, where'd you go from there? You'd have to go to Stallone to impress me on, on stuff. Yeah. Not messed alone. Uh, I've met uh, several of the Doctor Who's. Haven't met Tennant. I've met David Tennant. Lovely guy. Tennant. Genuinely yeah. nice yeah. guy. Lovely bloke. Matt Smith, lovely fella. Who my son was about five years old. My son is a massive Doctor. My son just wants to be. So can I just make it clear? I'm the antithesis of a Doctor. Yeah, fan, by the say. way. I, I met David Tennant. Can yeah. I just give you a story, though, about the nicest celebrity I've never met, but my son did, quite by chance, while we're still on Doctor Who vibe, Peter Capaldi, who met my son, quite by chance, because my son was literally turning a corner on the street where they were filming Doctor Who, found out that my son liked Doctor Who, spent 15 minutes talking to my son, had numerous photos taken with him, hmm. uh, recorded something on his phone for him, signed his shirt and drew a picture of a Dalek on his shirt for him. Although I've never met Peter Capaldi, if I ever do meet Peter Capaldi, I will shake your hand heartily, sir, because you made a little boy's hero come to life. Wow. Um, I've, I'm never going to beat Alec Guinness, but like I said, I've met David Tennant. I've met David Prose. Yeah, I've met David Prose as well, actually. Yeah. The, the nicest one I've ever met, Jeremy Bullock, Boba Fett. Yeah. Lovely man. What a lovely guy. What a lovely man. But the greatest one I've ever met... And this will just bring it, bring this episode to a fitting close, given the theme of science fiction, William Shatner. Wow. Uh, the greatest, the world's greatest. The world's greatest living actor. Living actor. Living actor. Living actor. And I will throw in the caveat the living actor, because Adam West has now passed away. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Uh, we've given you our slightly disappointed uh, verdict of Deadpool 2. Massive ramble. Ramble about <laughs> science fiction. I do apologise for the microphone issues. Two hours in, I've realised that my actual proper microphone wasn't plugged in and we've been using this shitty little one on my laptop. <laughs> the sound quality, I, I will try and rectify the sound quality in post. I really do apologise for that. But we're not doing this podcast again, are we? Let's be honest. So <laughs> we're, not gonna re, we're not going to re-record it because we're tired already. And I think recording that another two hours plus of this will just kill us. <laughs> so please uh, come back to us soon. We, I think we're going to be... Uh, Covering solo. Uh, so, yeah, okay. Uh, uh, you've given the game away now. Uh, we're going solo uh, on the next one. Solo. Neil, where will they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Neil underscore Gaskin or, of course, on the main website, which is www.film89.co.uk. Uh, you can find me uh, on a bench outside your mental And, yeah, that's where I'll be. Or at Jim Cottle on on Twitter. I am on Twitter. Just give him something. I never. Yeah, Twitter. Looking for me on Twitter. Yeah. Okay, you can you can find us all on Facebook if you want. Neil uses a pseudonym, so you probably won't find him. You can find him on Twitter alongside myself at Film Eighty Nine UK. You can find me on Instagram if you want. I'm on Instagram as well. I'm at at Neil's Picks on Instagram. I'm on. Uh, Jim's Instagram at, at, at Jim, Jim Ladden. Yeah, that's, that's oh, DM me, Jim. Right, please, just a little bit of preparation. At I, least know your Twitter I, handles I, and the I, like. I don't do the internet. Really. You don't do the internet. Right. Do you know, Jim, Jim is actually on Instagram. There's a reason Jim's on Instagram. 
What's that? Because he's suddenly become a media whore. Oh, that's not even talking about that. Celebrity endorsements for a certain car that I'm not going to mention because I've been trying for ages to get a Dacia Duster to sponsor me and then Mazda go and sponsor him. He is actually currently sponsored by Mazda. Dear me. (laughs) And you'll find me on Twitter at Sky Movies. That's Sky S-K-Y-E Movies. One other thing, guys. We've been toying with the idea of a contest for a long time. Yes. And we thought, what can we give away to our increasingly growing band of loyal listeners which no other podcast could give away or has given away or would give away a lock of Jim's hair no yeah we could give away ties we could give away t-shirts we could give away film memorabilia but ultimately that's stuff that you could just go online and buy for you know 10 pounds yourself let's do something completely original that something that would be perhaps personal personal I like that Neil what we're going to do is we're going to monitor our social media traffic for the next We'll say the remainder of May, June, and July. What we're going to ask of our listeners is, if you want to, recommend the Film 89 podcast to your friends. Yes. And if they listen to it and they like it, ask them to put a review on iTunes. We're not going to say put a five-star review on. Put whatever sort of score you want to give us. But yeah, please, get them to follow us on Twitter. But more importantly, if they like us, get them to put a review on iTunes. And when they do, get them to tag in the name of the person who recommended them. We are able to look on iTunes and we're able to suss which of our listeners have done this the most. And the person who does it the most, or the three people who do it the most over the next three months, the people in third and second place will be able to pick a topic for a retrospective episode of their choice. So whatever film that may be, it could be Lawrence of Arabia, it could be Sam Raimi's Dark Man, it could be the most obscure film, what, whatever it is, once you've won, we'll contact you. You pick that film... Please pick Night Hawks. Oh, dear me. Or Roadhouse. <laughs> so, the people in second and third place are going to get to pick a retrospective episode, which some of us amongst the group on Film 89 will then cover. The person who gets us the most recommendations and they, then the most reviews on iTunes. They don't just get a shout out. What do they get? They're going to get a place on this very podcast. They're going to get an episode all to themselves with us where they're going to discuss at length their favourite film, or it could be a TV show, whatever topic they want. This is going to be done. Whoever wins it... You know, if, we'll... if you, We're not going to pay travel expenses. If you live within travel, inspe- uh, travel distance, or if you want to pay for your travel expenses... You can come and record with us live. Down, and you can come down to Three King Studios, where we're recording from right now. Or Film 89 Towers. Or Film 89 Towers, whichever's closest. If you can do it on Skype, you can do it on Skype. We'll, well, I will talk you through how to record a podcast on Skype. We will handle the rest, but... I don't think it's been done before. We're actually going to give away a place or guest spot on our very own podcast. This will happen. This will be a thing. So please, guys, get recommending yourself to... or or, Sorry, get recommending us to friends, family, whatever, anyone who's interested in film and television. Get them to listen to it. Get them to leave us a review and tag in the person that recommended Film 89 to you. We will be monitoring the traffic. Don't just like the show. Be Be part of it. I like that. Don't just like the show, be part of it. That's going to be the third t shirt. <laughs> okay, we're going to bring it to a close. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Like I say, apologies for the sound issues. Uh, these things happen. We're all extremely tired. It's very late. And uh, Stay we classy. love you all. Cheerio. Stay classy again. <laughs>